With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in to Episode 7 of some Enforcer-based podcasting. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And uh, we got a big show today. I think you guys will really dig it. My guest is none other than LNAH legend, the Cowboy, Curtis Swanson. Now you're going to say, wait on me, what, what did Curtis do? Well, here, I'll break it down for you. How's this? We'll put it in simple terms. In the LNAH, 179 games played, 1,321 minutes and penalties, 231 tilts, folks. That's right, 231 fights in 179 games. That gets you legendary status in my books. And, I mean, you go back and look at his fight card, you name it, he fought him. Bossy, uh, Terrio, Sugden, Lassard, Tidbull, Marasti. All the, all the dudes are there. And we're gonna break it down, and we're gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna get. We're gonna get the right from right from the horse's mouth. We're gonna get Swanee to tell us some stories about those guys, and uh, I th- I think you guys are gonna really dig it. And of course, the LNAH holds a special place in my heart. Crazy league, and uh, you know, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, I I think the stories will they'll be uh, be entertaining and. Uh, See, I'm saying this because I actually haven't interviewed Curtis yet. He's actually, uh, we're setting this up in about 10 minutes. I'm giving him a call. So I wanted to get this all done because I'm gonna, I want to release it tomorrow. So I'm going to do the intro real quick and because uh, I think I'm going to be talking to him for a while because I've known Swanee for a while and I think we're going to have a fun conversation. And, uh, and he has an interesting story and he's a good dude. So uh, I... Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in, and I think you guys will really dig it. Uh, go back, like I said, uh, six episodes. Uh, every Wednesday is new content, and on Sunday, I uh, it's a vault episode, so to speak, or re-release one of my old player interviews. This past Sunday, I just put out uh, Joey Tedarenko. I highly recommend that. Joey's a great storyteller, funny dude. But hey, Memorial Cup champion, played 10 years of pro, played with the Florida Panthers, you know, Russian Rockets, got a funny Bill Holder story. I mean, Joey's a funny dude, so I uh, I recommend that. And of course, the previous Sundays, I had Brad Wingfeld, winger, there you go, minor league legend, and a very tough interview. I mean, I don't think he's on any social media. I know he hasn't done any other interviews, but three hours of him telling stories from the minors, playing for the mob in Danbury, getting phone calls on the bench. 
from the big boss. Trust me, he's got some crazy stories you want to tune in. And then, of course, John Nasty Morasty was my first Sunday guest. Um, and John was great. About an hour and a half, we covered his whole career. And I think it's the most in-depth Morasty interview you're going to find. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. Other than that, like I said, and I got my top 25 episode with Steve. Uh, you know, who's the best of all time? Tune in and find out what Steve had to say. And, uh, no, other than that, uh, got some great guests uh, coming at you here. And, uh, yeah. And, oh, by the way, check out, uh, go to YouTube, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. There, I'm always putting up new stuff. I think I put up about 15, 20 new clips, new fight clips on there this weekend, on the long weekend. Uh, some good Terry Ryan stuff, some old WHL stuff. Dave McMillan throwing down. And uh, Brent, Brendan Witt, and uh, lots of good stuff on there. And uh, but yeah, we're like I said, this podcast is on all the uh, major uh, platforms that the kids listen to. Could you rate and review the show? It helps me out. Um, I appreciate all the love that you guys have been giving the the up the restart of my show. Um, you know, like I said, seven episodes in now, and uh, and we're really we're really rolling, and uh, it's been fun, and. Uh, like I said, the feedback's been been all positive, and uh, like I said, we got lots of stuff here on the network. Terry Ryan, uh, you know Brady Liebold, the uh, the Hockey to Heroin podcast. He's been doing some good work. Just had Chris Nyland on, um, you know, and of course, all, and then all the all the NHL teams are represented. If you're whatever team you're, uh, whatever team you cheer for, they got a podcast here on the network, and I uh, recommend that you check them out. Uh, other than that, you know, my other fight. My other fight contemporaries, you know, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles, he's doing great work, just released a Richie Pilon video, or uh, interview, um, Alec over at the fourth, or at the fourth line voice, ah, uh, yeah, five for fighting, uh, William over at the Biscuit, you know, the Slewfoot guys get the gate, I don't know what's going on over there, you guys, this, this, uh, lockdown's really, uh, really, uh, slowing them down, but, uh, those guys, once everything gets rolling, those guys will get back at her. And then, of course, Dan Kelly and Paul over at the Obey the Puck show. You know, I, I always throw those guys out this is for for everybody listening. So, uh, but definitely check out those guys. Like I said, everybody knows the Spit and Chiglets and the John Scotts and the Cam Jansons and the BXS shows of the world. But, uh, you know, like I said, support support local. Support the little guys. We're all fighting for airtime. But, uh, no, the fact that you tuned in and you're listening to me right now, I, uh... I can't thank you enough. Like I said, I know there's lots of stuff to listen to out there, and uh, the fact that you chose my show, uh, I am I am grateful. And uh, hopefully, I can deliver some uh, some solid quality uh, for you. So, but uh, how about I just shut up and let's get on with Swanson, right? Like I said, Curtis will have some great stories, and uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with him. So, uh, like I said, after you guys tune in, get a hold of me on Twitter, Fourth Line Voice on Twitter. Send me your comments. And uh, let me know what you think. But, uh, alright guys, let's roll. Alright, here on the 4th Line Voice Podcast, my guest out in Vernon, British Columbia, the Cowboy, Curtis Swanson. Curtis, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing quite well, thank you for having me. Well, th- yeah, well thank you very much for uh, for agreeing to sit down and, t- and tell some uh, some crazy LNH stories and everything, but uh, before we get into that, like I said, we I like to time kind of timeline a guy's career and how how we uh, how you ended up getting where you got. So uh, so you you, uh, you grew up in BC and uh, so tell us where whereabouts in BC and uh, when did you start playing hockey? I grew up in between Vernon and Lumbee in a little tiny community of Lavington, and I actually didn't start playing hockey till I was twelve. I 
parents weren't really into organized sports. Believe it or not, my mom put me in soccer for the beginning stretch of my life there. And one of my best friends was playing hockey and I begged him for years. And finally at 12, I got my wish and got to play and played house hockey for, I think, three years. And then played Bantam House, Bantam Single A, because that was the biggest lumpy the town I played in, actually offered then midgets i got cut my first year played on a juvenile team for half a season till it folded and then played a season a single a and i was always a third fourth line guy playing minor hockey so that's kind of how i cut my teeth and we didn't really fight in minor hockey but i always tried to run guys and use my size which i've luckily always had but not well, really. Uh, well, I see. I know what start you're, when you're three. Well, what are you actually? I know you're, you're listed at six two two twenty. Is that right? It varies. It's right sometimes. <laughs> well, so. I, I mean, between, <laughs> yeah. the, between the cargo loading and the off season training, but the height part, you're actually you're legitimately six foot two. Uh, just under six three. So yeah, I think I'm a little over six two and. Then the weight part, I mean, wow. I floated between 210 to 285, depending on how much I ate, and it wasn't really anything assisted. I just have always been a bigger type of farm boy build. Yeah, oh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, yeah, and uh, Molson Muscle, man, <laughs> but... Uh... yeah. <laughs> like, were you always kind of, uh, like, growing up, were you kind of, uh, were you, as they say, scrappy? Like, were you a fighter? Uh, not really. I didn't even get into my first fight off the ice till I was in grade 11. And got into that and realized I could handle myself and kind of never really fought on the ice playing minor hockey. And once my minor hockey career was over. I was working full-time in the summer and took a weekend off of work and went to the Princeton Posse tryouts in Junior B. And that's when I figured I really should give it a go and see if I can make this team on fighting because I know I can't do it on skill. Well, yeah, for anybody listening, the Princeton Posse is in the Kootenai League. Uh Kootenai, uh, the KI, as it's called, Junior Junior B League, and that's a a, a, fair, a very high end league in BC. And uh, so, so you go out there, and uh, obviously in camp, you're you know you're you're out there dropping the gloves. What was the general feeling like? Uh, you know, well, they got quite a kick out of me in camp because I just left a construction job, showed up there for the weekend with my hockey bag, and. Went there, I fought six times in two, or I guess Friday night in the two weekend days, and the coach quite liked me, he asked me on Sunday where I was staying, and I said, oh, I got my car parked down by the river, I sleep in the passenger seat, I got a cooler with some hot dogs, beans, and smokies, whatever, and he said, you're shitting me. And they put me up in a billet place after that, and I couldn't really believe that's where I was staying, but didn't bother me any. Uh, so you were legitimately the guy down living in a van down by the river, but it was a car. Yeah, that's tremendous. Yeah, it was a '92 Sunfire. Ah, Sunburn. there you go. 
Yeah. Yeah. But well, so I well I know you end up in that in that's uh o two o three. I know you end up in Slave Lake later in the year. How yeah? How, how long did you play in Princeton? I didn't play too long. I was there for about a month, and they had a local tough guy and. When they signed me, like I told the coach, you know, don't bring me in for a month and cut me. I mean, I got a good job. They want to train me up for actually surveying. And he said, no, we'll keep you. I like what you bring. But the GM wasn't as on board. So Dupes, the coach there, got in touch with Kurt Walston and said, well, I got a tough guy I can send your way. You'll really like him. And they said they were going to set me up in a five-star hotel and pretty good setup for junior b especially so i ended up going up to slave lake because i was only playing the away games they dressed their local tough guy in the home games in princeton and went up there and i remember talking to kurt and he said after the first game he called up dupes and asked him what the fuck he sent him because <laughs> the guy could barely do a cross over or skate and nobody fought me for the first game or two and i think kurt was ready to send me on my way but Shortly after, I was able to find a few combatants and prove myself. Yeah, well, I heard, I, yeah, I heard the stories. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, so you get to Slave Lake, and I know uh, that that uh, that team had uh, had really struggled uh, a couple years before that, and then uh, I know you guys went on a real run that year, and I think you uh, you ended up, uh, I think you lost in the finals, and I think there was some. Uh, there was some kind of some bullshit going on with the league and who was getting suspended and what whatever was going on. Slave Lake, they didn't like you guys because it was uh, they had you and uh, uh, Trevor Ray. Trevor Ray, yeah, we're sort yep. of fucking running roughshod over the league, and uh, they the, the the I know the head of the league was not fond of Slave Lake. Yeah, well, there was us too, and then there was a fair amount of depth in behind us with other guys who could throw them too, so we definitely pushed our weight around quite a bit, and our top two lines were skilled, so we were up goals. We were going to beat you down into the ice as hard as we could in the third period, and I can remember one game where our goalie actually lashed out at our coach and said, you know, we're up 5 nothing. it'd sure be nice to play for the shutout instead of doing it up the whole third period and Kurt didn't miss a beat he turned around and told the goalie if he didn't get a shutout against this team he didn't deserve it anyway walked out of the room <laughs> well yeah well there hey there you go but uh <laughs> yeah well I mean that was funny because last night I threw your DVD in last night and I was kind of I was skimming real quick just to make sure I you know remembered everything and yeah watching some of that Slave Lake stuff was just was a riot I mean there were some times like you would get sent out and you could just tell the guy beside you was just not digging this whole thing. Like there was a lot of, it looked like there was a lot of reluctant dudes. Yeah, but I mean, guys still showed up for the most part and yeah, when they didn't, they kind of had to too. Yeah. So yeah. Sort of it wasn't quite like today where if you didn't want to fight. You didn't have to back then you had to defend yourself too. Well, I, yeah, I mean that was the thing, right? Yeah, you you were you were put in a position of of kind of no choice, you know, and it was like, uh, yeah, well, there you go, and it was like, hey, you know, if you were going to act up, well, this was going to be the consequence. So, yeah, you know, so you guys have a run there, and I know you you, you lost in, in the in the finals there, 
But uh, and that was o two o three. Well, I know in o three o four you stayed in that league, correct? When you were with yeah, the- I I know there was talk of me getting a trout at a higher league, but ended up breaking my hand that summer, bare knuckle boxing my best friend who played junior B and Nelson in the KI. We were just drinking one night, and I broke my hand on his head, and I think he'd actually, through his junior B career, I think he broke four hands on his head. He was a scrappy little winger, kind of in the mold of a Wendell Clark, and loved to hit guys, but we're drunk, bare-knuckle boxing, and then he kept calling me a pussy because I didn't want to fight him anymore because my hand was broke. Well, we thought sore at the time, but so I we had a couple more tussles when I had the broken hand, and then I didn't get it looked at for a week and found out it was broken after and it's kind of shit out of luck for any tryouts. So I went back up to Dawson Creek that year and kind of got caught up in the same scenario as I was in Princeton where they brought me in for toughness, but they had Sean Gerstel and Dodie Wood's nephew. So they had a bit of local toughness that they didn't anticipate and they released me, I want to say, in November-ish. And then I got picked up by Sexsmith, and their GM really didn't want to bring me on, but their coach fought for me, and I actually got a, ended up living with the GM and him telling me he didn't realize how much a fighter could actually influence his team because they all grew a few inches, and whether they're a little bit tougher and not worried about having to deal with anyone else with me around. So that was a nice compliment back then in juniors. No, absolutely. Well, to kind of just go off when you were saying with your hand, did you ever, like, did you have a lot of hand issues during your career? Not so much hands, more so shoulders. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you I was the biggest power puncher because I know that's not true, but... You're still hitting, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely not 100%, but I think that was the only time I broke my hand was with my buddy during the summer and everything else. I mean, there's broken knuckles and a little bit of issues straightening out a few fingers, but nothing major. Yeah. Well, so you, so you, so at this point, you're, uh, you turn, you turn 20 and, uh, well, how how did you end up in the in the LNAH? How did that all happen? And uh, take us through it here. Well, I just kind of got a phone call, and I mean, I still had two years of junior eligibility left in that league because they let you carry four overagers at twenty one. And then I got the phone call to go to Quebec, and I mean, a guy can't turn that down. They're actually going to pay me to play, and. I thought that was unreal. Like, shit, I wasn't even supposed to play junior B when I tried out for Princeton. We actually had a leading, co-leading score from our team in Lumbee try out and get cut, and he tried fighting a few times too, but they got rid of him and kept me, and I don't know. I just ran with it. Yeah. I got an offer. I signed it, and it wasn't much money in comparison to what I found out guys were getting, but for me, it was the holy grail to be actually getting paid to play hockey. So, did, Well, did you know what you were getting into, though? 
<clears throat> not a clue. No, oh, yeah. I had no idea exactly what the league was about. I knew that from talking with Kurt a little bit that it was definitely going to be a tough league, but I mean, not uh, what it was. I didn't anticipate Brashear being there in the preseason and all that stuff. Like that year was definitely a. Uh, one of the top years for talent in that league, I'd say, with the lockout being there as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah. You, so you roll into uh, uh, Saguenay, and uh, well, well, we'll get into it. First of all, we were talking, but I mean, uh, Link Gates is there. Yeah, he showed up partway through preseason, and. I think I fought two or three times in camp, but the coaches are telling me not to fight because, well, they didn't have much for tough guys, and they wanted me fighting other teams' guys anyway. Yeah. But they were bringing me in and touting me as a heavyweight from the Western League. So I think they were almost under the assumption that I played in the WHL. Yeah. Oh, it's... I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to correct them. I'm from out west. So yeah, was, you played in a Western and... League. Per, yeah, you know, yeah, per se. yeah, yeah. So, well, the one night there, I think got released from uh, Sorrell in preseason, and I'd heard that uh, he had an issue with a teammate and rammed a car into his teammate's vehicle, and the car was a rental from Sorrell by the team, and he showed up to our game in that car, you know handicapped deco hung from the center rearview mirror. I'm like, where'd you get that? He's like, oh, I just grabbed it from some car that was open. Now I can park anywhere I want. It's awesome. You should get one. And I'm thinking, this guy's amazing. <laughs> I've heard stories, but... So, anyway, we played the game. I think he fought Hamilton, and pretty sure I fought Roach and someone else, and carried on, and Trevor went back to our hotel we were staying at, Trevor Jober was kind of our veteran English guy, and he was right on me about, whatever you do, do not go out with Link. And uh, you're preaching to a kid in a candy store. I mean, Link's a legend. So I had to go out with him. And it was a pretty uneven night as far as Link stories go. We didn't get into any major mischief. We sat and drank at a bar, and when we did pull up into the first bar, the bartender's eyes definitely opened up when he saw who was sitting down. Because Link played there a year or two previous and drank there, rolled over to another bar, and I ran into a girl that I was hanging out, and I was young and silly, so I was sitting there making out with her, and all of a sudden I got this big hand on my shoulder, and Link grabbed me and said, that's a $40 fine, son, for PDA. <laughs> and the girl's wondering what the hell's happening, and He's asking me to, you know, stop what's going on. I'm like, no, we just play this one out, and we're not going to kiss anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so we calmed her down, and Link ended up carrying on. I don't know what he got into the rest of the night, but I had other things on my mind at that point. Yeah. Most likely, luckily. But it was good to be able to spend an evening with a legend. Well, I, I just laughed in that story. Trevor Job's the voice of reason. There, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't hear that often. Most of the other nights he wasn't. I mean, you should have seen this 
hotel we were staying in. I can't even remember the name in Jean Care because Saguenay is more the name of the fjord by Jean Care and Chicoutimi. And when we were up there, they put us up in this retro, like, 70s hotel. And, I mean, they had quarter machines on the wall that played porn still on the TV. Like it, it, we're talking, this is a straight out of Slapshot or worse hotel. And uh, they brought in some guys from Ukraine. They were staying in a two-floored hotel room. So you walked in, and then you had a one-bedroom in the bottom one. You had a spiral staircase up to your second bedroom. And it was just wild, this little hotel. Wish I could remember the name. There was a bar in it, and it was a nice little setup. But anyway, normally Jober be sitting there, and I think me and Corey Dukowski and Jober hung out quite a bit. And Jober sent us down because we're the rooks. Go down to the front desk, get some more quarters for the TV. Be playing cards and drinking and just killing time between practices and that. And it was quite a lot of fun. How often did you guys practice? Um, on average in that league, I mean, it really varied. In Laval, we practiced or had ice available to us a lot more, but organized practices were once or twice a week, usually twice a week. And I mean, Jean Kerr, I had quite a bit of ice. Actually, it was pretty insane looking back at the two goalies we had out for like afternoon skates. We'd have Mark Denis and Sebastian Caron in that. Yeah. And Koran treated me like gold and really appreciated having me around. He lent me his wife's Jeep when they went out of town on vacation, so I had a vehicle, and he was a great guy. Denis was good to me. He gave me a hard time playing rebound, and I've never been confused with a skilled player, but it'd be my turn to get up and shoot, and he'd be wiggling his goalie stick back and forth and hollering, hurry hard, hurry hard. The curling rocket. The curling rocket. <laughs> what a prick. <laughs> but it was all in good fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, for the most part, it was twice a week and pretty relaxed. It was more of a league where a lot of the older French guys, after they played in the A and the East Coast, came back and got into a semi-retirement where they still got to play a high-level hockey and work. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, like you said, a lot of skilled guys. I mean, it, I would say it gets the reputation, and deservedly, about being the circus and a little crazy and everything. But, like we were saying, uh, you know, when it, was, when it came down, when it came time to play with a little frozen black thing rolling around, there was a lot of talent in that league. Yeah, your top two lines could compete. I think most teams in that league could compete in the East Coast. I mean, yep. Your fourth line definitely wouldn't be playing a regular shift, but I'm sure it would scare the hell out of a lot of those teams. Oh yeah, and that well, and that list that leads what a segue that leads to my next question. Yeah, in terms of like, like we're talking some of those teams were you know six, seven, eight guys deep in terms of toughness. Not so much yeah. with you guys. That was sort of uh, it was sort of you and uh, basically kind of Yannick Delaire were kind of uh, that was about it. Uh, yeah, I want to say they flew in some American, Anthony Zeno, who's a big guy at 6'5", but yeah. I think he had less hockey skill than I did, and he came in for a couple games and got released and didn't really want to do it. And 
and they just didn't have anyone up there. No one wants to go that knows the league way up into there to a town where one in eight people can speak very broken English. I mean, in hindsight, I would have loved to go back there in my later years because the ratio of men to women up there was very kind. I want to say four or five to one because all the guys got the hell out of there as soon as they could. Yeah. Well, how, how did the, uh, well, when you were up there, I, I mean, I've heard different stories and stuff, but how did the, how did the town people treat you? As the, as the they treated English me. Guy. They treated me pretty good. I mean, for the most part, I'm pretty sure they knew what I was there for, and I was definitely naive and just happy to be there at that point too. But yeah, I never had too many issues. I mean, I knew next to no French at that point, and really until I was in that league for three or four years, could I carry on enough to get myself by in a half-ass conversation? I could order food, and I knew a poulet was chicken, and the basic yeah. stuff like that from a menu, and figure out enough to get by, but not much more at that point. Yeah. So, well, I don't no, go ahead. Don't have bad things to say about the French people. They treated me well when I was there. There you go. I mean, yeah, not quite the stigma I thought it would be coming from Western Canada. Yeah. Well. But, yeah, well, and like you said, I mean, you know, as a you know, as a player, they know what you're there for, and uh, no, for sure. Um, yeah. One well, of the just, big things when you are there is to make sure you make an attempt to speak French, even if it's something like uh, "Je parle parler français." Yeah. You know, don't just go up and say, "I need gas." Give them a, let them know you can't speak or something, and then they might try to help you. Yeah. Yeah, make an effort, right? So. Yeah. Um, well, just looking at your fight card here, yeah. So you had, uh, so you have, well, you you play, uh, uh, was it one, two, three, four preseason games, five fights. So you're yeah. you're 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 jumping in into the deep end right away because a couple of those fights were with, uh, with well, with your uh, future employee partner uh, Roger Maxwell, but uh, you fought yeah. you fought him and Craig Martin and then. Uh, you know, Simon Robodas, who was in that league forever. So, I mean, you certainly weren't uh, picking spots. But, I mean, at the same time, like, these guys are all going to be, like, foreign. Like, did you watch any video going in? Like, did you know any of these guys? Are there tendencies? At that point, I didn't have much for video or any real knowledge of who I was going to be fighting and was just going in and happy to be there and hoping for the best. And I definitely struggled that first year, but I showed up and yeah. I think it was a preseason or early in the year and I know who this guy was, but he had tipped the net over right on top of Quran in our zone that was on the ice. So I had to skate up and do something to Brashear. So I gave him a little slosh in the back of the legs and told him to stay the fuck away from my goalie. And, well, Brash could probably see I could barely stand on skates and skate around and laughed at me. And, what do you say, kid? Stay the fuck away from my goalie. And he just chuckled and skated off the ice. And it wasn't a big slosh in the back of the legs, but I let him know I was there anyway. Well, did you did you guys, did you fight at all? We didn't fight, but I went after him as a 20-year-old and just gave him a whack. And yeah. I would have thrown down, but I wasn't going to jump the gun to do it at that point in my career. 
Well, because it's because he's on your fight card actually on Drop Your Gloves. It has Donald Brashear on here, September thirtieth. Yeah, at at home. Yeah. So I, but there's no, it doesn't say anything. It just says Brett. So I was like, that's why I was going through your footage. I'm like, well, it's not on here. I'm like, so I was like, that was one of my questions. Brashear question no. mark. Okay. No, there was no fight. Uh, maybe we might have got a ten, or but I don't think we did, but. Well, Definitely, I know you, uh, you fought Roach was and racing uh, on that one. Um, Val- Valente and Roach, you fought those two in that game. Yeah, and I think I did okay in those two fights. I mean, as far as a twenty-year-old in that league can do. Uh, wow, well, that well, let's well, well, first of all, we'll say that you're twenty years old in the LNAH at like the peak of its crazy. Well, maybe not the peak of its craziness, but getting there like in a jungle yeah. and you're 20 years old fighting everybody on a team with like you know no disrespect to the teammates but really not a lot of backup and help so it's like no that's insane and everybody I've talked to yeah. has said the same thing they can't believe you actually did that you know at 20 they're like yeah Swanee's nuts you know but it worked into my favor because there was no way I was going to come in at 20 and crack Sorrell's lineup no no well no mm-hmm. I mean where you ended up worked how it, it did actually work out for you in that sense, but it was just uh, I don't know anybody, like I know veteran, like tough guys, like legit, like American Hockey League guys that like wouldn't go to the Quebec League for any amount of money, they were just like, forget it and here you are at 20 well basically yeah, eight, eight, years a week in, too. <laughs> you know, 8 years into le- to playing hockey and you're you know, fighting in the toughest league in the world it's actually a pretty insane story yeah. Well, like, did, well, I enjoyed the ride. Well, I mean, it's interesting talking to you because you're you're saying that you you know you didn't really fight like you weren't a fighter growing up. And your first fight was in grade eleven, you know. So it wasn't like you were like you know some big huge pugilist crazy guy growing up. But did you just have like no sense of fear? Not overly. I mean. After grade 11, I definitely started going a lot more and came into my own and got into a little bit of trouble off the ice. Nothing crazy or anything, but there was a point where my brother and best friend didn't overly enjoy going to house parties because they normally knew the outcome was me getting into a fight. But, I mean, that was only a couple of years of training in some aspects, I guess you would say. Well, I was going to say at this point, before you actually, I kind of went ahead of myself, but before that's that year before you went into the Quebec League, like that summer, I guess you broke your hand though. I was going to say, did you do any boxing or training or getting in ready for this at all? Or was it just like, ah, fuck it, let's go? Um, not a ton of training. I never was a great guy for going to the gym. I worked five days a week and my only real training per se would be I went to the Nelson Leafs there another KIJHL teams yep. summer rookie camp because that's where my buddy Nathan played and their coach basically is like if you get cut I want you back here and all that I, I don't think it's a good idea for you to go to that league I mean I know some of the guys that are there I think he knew Rushton he's from Nelson originally and kind of was warning me and I kind of brushed him off and said oh, I'll be fine and, and then I that, didn't have to go back there. 
and then a, a month or two later, you're you're drinking with Link Gates and fighting Craig Martin. You know, there yeah. You <laughs> I was gonna say watching this footage, and it was rare because I mean I've seen a lot of most the majority of your stuff growing uh, as your career, and I know a lot of times you know it was pretty much when the fight was over, it was over, and you were pretty clean breaking up and everything, and you certainly weren't an extra shot guy or anything. But the fight with uh, Valente. Did you two have something going on? Because he, because uh, you went tried to go after him in one of the fights afterwards. I know he kind of gave you a little shot when the refs were done when you were breaking it up, and then you were kind of looked like you two were kind of really trying to get at each other. Do you remember uh, that? Nothing major. I remember not being a huge fan of Valantes, and I think it was probably because one of the early fights he gave me a late shot, but there was nothing major, but. Usually if I'm trying to get back after some guy, he definitely pissed me off in some regard because normally once it's over, it's over. Well, like I said, yeah, watching the video, it was it was rare to see you react like that because you know, really never did. And all the stuff I watched, you didn't. And all of a sudden you were getting, you could tell you were fired up about it. So I was like, oh, I got to ask him about that, what that guy did. Because I can't remember who else I talked to, but somebody else was fucking not real high on Valente either. They kind of said he was kind of a goof, but... Yeah, well, I'm not sure how much of a hockey background he had either, because I Cause believe I've heard he was more of a weightlifter boxer than a hockey player. Yeah, so. I think he was like a bodybuilder or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, kind of rolling through this, I know uh, one of the guys you seem to fight like, one, two, I, it was like, oh, I have it written down here. How many times did you fight him? It was just like ridiculous. It was like six times was Danik Lassard. Yeah. Um. And I mean that guy's hands are so fast. That'd be tough. Tough fighting that guy. Yeah, it was tough, but you knew exactly what you were getting from him, and he wasn't a guy who was going to jerk me around and screw with my balance. And he was shorter, so that helps me with my reach. So for me, it was a good. No, I'm never going to say fighting Danik's an easy fight, but it's a simple fight. I yeah. know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to come in with the pistons. I'm going to grab his right. He's going to throw lefts, which aren't as hard as his rights. And he's going to go open with me. So for me, that works out hugely in my favor, and I can just throw my rights against his lefts. And I didn't really... Danik wasn't a guy who intimidated me, and I quite enjoyed fighting him, actually, because you knew exactly what you are going to get, an honest stand-up fight. Yeah. Well, and, well, and like I said, going through this, one of the guys that you fought, and he was, uh, you know, definitely he's been around, legendary minor league guy, and massive dude, was Chad Richard. Yeah, I can quite remember that fight because he was Trevor Jober was telling me to steer clear of him because he's pretty dangerous, and I wasn't really ever one to listen to well, so I lined up next to him and asked him to go. He asked me if I was sure, and we had a pretty honest fight, and he definitely controlled me, and I wasn't much of a hazard to him, but I felt pretty good standing in there and throwing him with him, and it was kind of one of my earlier bigger fights. It would have been him and Pajerni for the most part that year. Yeah. Well, that that was my next question. How was... uh fighting Bajerni, how'd that go? I think it went quite well for me. I know Bajerni got flack from a bunch of the guys when he was 
out bullshit with them afterwards and said, you know, this Swanson kid's going to be pretty solid. And the guys were laughing at him and giving him a hard time. But yeah. luckily I was able to prove the journey right there. Yeah, I'd but, say so. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the guys you fought, and I was watching the video last night, and I think he was talking to you. It looked like he was talking to you the whole fight. And this guy is quite the showman. He's been in Quebec League forever, and he's a local guy. Chance. Paul Chance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he was quite the character. I mean, a good, honest guy. I mean, I think we fought a few times that year. I don't know if he was around too much after that year. and He always put on a show. I mean, I wasn't crazy about everything he did after the fight, but during the fight, he was... Good, got in there, and he was getting longer in the tooth then, and I was just cutting mine, so, I don't know, I enjoyed fighting him. He was definitely energetic. <laughs> that he was, that he was, definitely a showman. And, uh, well, and of course, speaking of showman, of course, I have to ask you, uh, obviously, you fought him twice that year, um, Both, and I, I laugh because both of you look like just, you know, 14 years old looked like these fresh-faced kids when you fought John Nasty Morasty. And uh, and the same thing, I mean, I think he was yapping the whole time, too. Um, what was it, What were your early impressions of Morasty, and uh, and how did, the, how did those fights go? I think they went quite well, where we both ended up the fight standing. I mean, yep. he would have definitely had me beaten cardio, I think, in any fight I ever had with him, but... And I think the first fight, he actually front-jerseyed me and was laughing at me and gave me little shots. And Yeah. But, I mean, Morasti was the ultimate showman. But for whatever reasons, whether it was my style against his, I never really felt super threatened by getting extremely hurt by Morasti. I mean, he's a guy you worry more about embarrassing you because you should beat up a guy who's five foot nine and until he thoroughly established himself and it became acceptable to have draws or lose against a guy his size it was a tough fight because you on paper you should beat this out of him and that would never be the case yeah so and just incredible the amount that he would just throw and not get tired laugh at you you couldn't hurt him or very few people have hurt him and he must have taken upwards of some of the most bunches out of any tough guy, yeah. if not the most. So, yeah, and great guy too. Like last year, he was actually playing senior hockey for the Grand Prairie Athletics, where I work, up in Grand Prairie, Alberta. And I got together with some with him for some beers and caught up. And great guy. Absolutely. Yes, he is. And it was funny because I, I got to know his agent, Eric, over the years back then. And uh, I, I met up with him a couple times. And uh, and this was later on. And I and for some reason, you guys went like a long time between fights. And I'd always bug Morasti. I'm like, hey, why do you keep fucking uh, ducking my boy Swanee? And he's like, tell him to get a haircut and then I'll fight him. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> John was a good dude. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um yeah, well, like you said, well, that that year, um, for anybody wondering, like I said, 20 years old, you roll into that league, you play 37 games, you get into 46 fights. So just, like, ridiculous. So it's, um, 
Another guy, and it was Morasti's buddy, actually. I know you ended up playing with him a little bit, but was the late uh, Darcy Johnson. Yeah, and Darcy hit hard. Yes, he did. And partied hard. He was one of the boys, always there for a teammate. I mean, I actually knew Darcy, Darcy way better than John. I'd actually stayed at John's place in Sorrell because that's where Darcy was living when we played in Tatford and uh, Darcy always gave it to me about that one fight we had where he put me on my ass. <laughs> I mean, but I think in a, over the long run, I might've had a, been able to edge him in more fights, but not a easy customer. Although he didn't really want that role either. He was a guy who could have done it more, Yeah, but he wanted to play. He's, he had good talent too. He's a skilled guy. Yeah, ideal third-line type, especially for that league where he could step up a weight class if he wanted to, and he could run around and do whatever he wanted and not really be too scared Yeah, of having to deal with these big gorillas that were rolling around. Absolutely. Well, so, of course, in, cl- in classic Quebec League fashion, um, about 23 games into the schedule, the team folds. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so at this point, were you uh, like just like okay, now what are we? What am I doing? Or like, were you kind of? What, what were you thinking at this point? Well, I was a little frustrated, and wondering what to do, but it was early enough in the year where I could always go back and play junior. But they put on a dispersal draft, and I want to say I went like top three or five in that draft of Laval. So I was a pretty early pick off that team, and there were some skilled guys. Like Obviously, Jober was behind the bench for us now and not playing, but he definitely had skill. And then Corey Dukowski played in Sweden a little bit. We had a really odd little song. Didier Tremblay was a pretty good defenseman. Randy Copley was my roommate, and... He was one of the more bitter guys in hockey after never signing being a second-round draft pick of the Rangers. I think he got drafted, and then there was a GM change, and he had a down year in the queue the next year, and his agent got him to hold out so he could put up better numbers. And But he was a sour man. Yeah. Going from second round to being in that Quebec League, he was not too thrilled to be up in Saguenay especially. Yeah, well, I'm just kind of as you were talking about, I just sort of clicked on his thing. Yeah, that was the last year. He, you know, he went with you to Laval, and then I think you got you get St. George, and then that was it. You just called it a career. well. He actually started in Laval, okay, and then came to Saguenay and actually gave me. Yeah, he started the year in Laval. Laval traded him to Saguenay, and then he got picked up by St. George in the dispersal draft. Yeah. But he gave me shit when I was in Saguenay because they were trying to set me up in this four-bedroom apartment with a bunch of the other rookies, and I'm looking at it, and it's a complete dump. Like, there's a hallway with four little closet bedrooms, a living room, a kitchen that's about six feet wide and 12 feet long, and I told him to go fucking pound sand, and I'd leave. And then they end up putting me in a nice place with Copley. We had a three-bedroom, just the two of us, and probably about double the size of that other place. And 
Copley's like, man, you're a rookie. You can't be doing that. I'm like, I don't need to live in a complete dump to play a, to come here and play hockey. I mean, screw that. I mean, your lifestyle's worth a little something. Well, yeah. 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 Well, and that's the yeah. thing, right? Give them an inch, they'll take a mile, too, on you. Yeah, and it's not like I didn't come from a working background. I was worried, well, what do I do if I... I'm not playing hockey. To me, I was doing this, and it was a privilege to play, but, I mean, a guy doesn't want to be completely slumming it to play hockey either. Yeah. It wasn't going to be like the uh, the Chiefs there. You weren't going to live in the rink or anything. Well, I saw the apartments in the rink. Those are pretty nice compared to the ones up in Saginaw <laughs> they tried to put me into. And living in the rink would have some pretty cool perks too. Well, I was going to say when you get to Laval, so you go to you sign with Laval. Were they still living in the rink at that time? No, they had uh, apartments uh, a couple blocks away from the rink, and I roomed with Randy Ponte for the first little stretch there. Well, there, there, well, that was going to be one of my. There you go, Ponte, a tough dude. I think he's the. Uh, I think he's the all-time fight leader in the Western Hockey League, Ponte. Um, yeah. And for a guy his size, that's pretty impressive, too, because I think he's only right around six feet. Yeah, no, not a big guy at all. No. Um, Which also makes it easier to put up those, that many fights, because if you're being asked by him or McIntyre, you're going to say yes to him more often than Big Mac. Oh, absolutely. well, yeah, absolutely. Um, was... Uh, was Bob Berger still involved with the team then? Yeah, Berger was still involved and was quite the character, and John Paris was our coach. Yeah. So I... Well, I played out there, and I was actually leading the league in fighting majors when I John came up to me and he wanted to send me down to Junior A because Laval was kind of on the cusp of if they'd even make the playoffs that year, and He's like, you're in over your head, kid. Like, we we love you. We're not going to cut you. But I found you a really good situation in Campbellton, New Brunswick, where you'd be going down to Junior A. You're, they're a top-tier team. you got a hotel room to stay in. They had a little slush fund for me to make sure I had some pocket money during the week. So it was a wicked setup. And then he also said Victoriaville and the queue was interested, but to go there as a 20-year-old and they're having a losing season, he wouldn't recommend it. So off I went to Junior A shortly after that. Well, yeah, okay, but before we do that, i got to ask you if you, so you get to Laval, so you have Berger, Paris yep. coaching. Um, like, there were some characters on that Laval team I'm going to ask you about. Um one was uh, Jesse Razanzov. One of the best guys. He was actually our, I think he was a, He was either a A or the captain at the time. I know Shalafu was the captain most of the time I was there, but I, Jesse was phenomenal. He was playing on the top line, and he was going out of his way to fight heavyweights, which at that point in his career he really didn't have to because he didn't want me to go home. Like the number ones in the league, like he didn't want me going up against Terrio as a 20-year-old kid. He didn't want me going up against all those Mayrand or Hamilton right away. So I know he definitely stepped not out of his comfort zone, but went there a little more knowing that if he didn't, I was going to jump in there. 
Yeah. Right. I think he did anyway. Yeah. I had a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a few tough guys. I mean, yeah, like you said, you had Craig Martin, Jesse Grenier was there. Uh, yeah. Matthew Rabby. I mean, uh, well, Chris Chris Cloutier, who at that point was just starting out. I mean, that guy's played in the league forever. Um, yeah, I don't actually think me and Cloutier played at the same time. He either came in after or before me. Yeah, he's only got 17 games, so yeah, it must have been after. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But like, were, the, were those guys like Martin and Grenier and Ravi and them, were they all pretty accepting of you? Like, did they help you out and kind of maybe try oh, to sh- yeah. show you a few things? I mean, Craig yeah, Martin played the NHL, for Christ's sake, you know? So, I mean. Yeah. Well, me and Craig had a laugh because I didn't even know who he was the first time I fought him in Laval. Yeah. And we had a good chuckle there. And I'd been over to dinner at his place. And she ran into him three or four years ago up in Grand Prairie when he was doing a safety gig for the oil companies and caught up with him then. He took me under the wing a little bit. I'm not even sure if Ravi, I think Ravi was there, but he was pretty reserved and quiet. I mean, Craig and Rosensoff definitely would be the two who took me under the wing the most from what I can recall, but yeah, Grenier helped me with the fighting and that. And remember at the time, looking back, it's quite humorous, but me and him were playing against Verdun, and he goes, okay, well, I'm going to take uh, Jason Clark because he's not as tough, and you fight Steve Bosse because you know, <laughs> he's not nearly as established, and he's not as tough. So, <laughs> looking back, I might have liked to uh, switch some spots there, but I stood in with Boss, and he definitely gave me my number in that one, I think, but... I don't think I ever got his number, but I had a, I want to say at least two to three fights with him. Yeah, you did. Um, I was going to say, like, and of course, Steve Bossy, who's gone on to, you know, UFC and legendary punching power. And I mean, you see it in all the YouTube videos and him and Morasti smoking each other. And, and like I said, well, like you said, the guy went on to the UFC and stuff. At that point, I mean, you know, he's in Verdun. He's relatively young still, too. But, uh, could you tell when you're fighting him that he had a little thunder in his hands? Yeah, I could tell there he was throwing strong, and I mean it was a weird fight for me because he was almost throwing both hands really wild. I never really got a good set because I've always had the balance issues, so I need my left hand for balance. So I'm always propping myself up with the other guy's balance for the most part in my fights, which isn't an ideal thing, but it's what I learned and figured out I had to do. Yeah. In order to stand in there. And he was wild with his upper body and he was throwing from the hip and hard. I mean, I don't think he ever connected with a super hard punch on me, but there was definitely intentions of it. Yeah. They, um, uh, well, I was going to say that one of the guys on here, and of course you, you played with him, and he was in the league again forever. But I've had other people talk about how frustrating it is to fight him. And as a fan watching, he's very frustrating to watch, was du, uh, Duplain, Sammy Duplain. Um, yeah. How frustrating is that to fight him? Extremely frustrating. and I mean, I 
got a lot of respect for what Sammy did in that league. Yep. And yep. I played with him. I've seen him take his lumps. I would have loved to have played against him later on in my career, but that never happened because after playing with him so long, I think I would have been able to give him a really rough time because I learned exactly what he was going to do. And But he viewed it as a job, straight-up job, get in there, look as good as you can and get that fight over with. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing to do in that league. It's probably a smarter thing than the way I view that. I remember he was irate with me and will jump ahead a few years. I think it was the only time I fought Terrio in Tatford and me and Terrio squared off and well Cote had taken me under my his wing previously in Laval and taught me the best way to fight a lefty and that's a for me, it was a cross-grabbing the left hand with my left hand. Because most lefties are very dominant lefties because that works really well for them. Yeah. Joel can throw both hands, but he's still much more dangerous with his left than right. So I did that, and I think it might have caught Joel a little off guard and he ended up slipping early on in the fight, and I let him up and wanted to continue fighting with Joel, which wasn't smart. And I think he threw a whole bunch of wild punches and I ended up on my back, but not really by a clean hit or anything, which is lucky. But Duplain's like, what were you thinking? You let Joel up. Like, you had him down. You jump on top of him. Like, you won that fight. I'm like, it's not really a win. Like, even Joel throws way more wild punches and missing. And it's both falling down. Each I, I consider that a draw. Now, anyone who watches the fight, I definitely was outmatched, but to me, there are very few wins in a hockey fight. Most of them are draws. I agree, yep. But it all depends on your viewpoint. Like, Sammy wanted it done right away, and I couldn't stand fighting him. Yeah. I wanted to hurt him, but he was—he had an excellent style where he got inside and he hit you with rabbit punches. There was nothing you could do to hit him unless you got him on the way in. Yep. And he had a really weird kind of pulsating back and forth style where he, it was hard to guess when he'd come in initially. But after playing with him for years, uh, it would have been fun to have a real go with him. We'll just leave it at that. There you go. Yeah. Well, like you said, you get set up with your, with your deal in Campbellton. And it's funny, I can remember, um, so we, I, I hear that you're getting sent to Campbellton to play junior A, to play junior A, after like you said, forty forty six tilts in the Quebec League. I can remember going on a mar, on a maritime message board, and it was literally the boogeyman is coming to Campbellton. Yeah, they were just like, "What is coming?" and people were yapping about it. And I mean, you see the foot, you show up with the long hair and it's like, you know, you got a dyed blonde and all that shit. I mean, uh, what were your impressions of the Maritime League and, uh, and how did you enjoy Campbellton? I really enjoyed it. As far as the Junior A League, I mean, it was one of the best places to play because you're right on the Quebec border too. So you got that hour time change and the bars in New Brunswick were only open till two. But you go across the bridge, and you're in this little tiny Quebec village. I think it's an, actually an Indian reserve, and they had a strip joint and a club there, maybe a 
little convenience store and not much else. And you could party there till four in the morning. He runs with time because now it's you're allowed to drink till three in Quebec and you got an hour time change. There you go. So that was a hell of a lot of fun and a great place to play. Good team and I didn't really get off with the coach in the best of ways. He really liked having me, but didn't overly like using me. So it was a little frustration there because well, the first game, the GM actually, I think, talked to a guy who'd played there before and might have put him something under the table to fight me so I could get the first couple fights in. And there were definitely a few solid guys in that league. Yeah. Was David Mitchell, he went on to play a little bit of semi-pro, and he would be the one guy who, coming out of there, I would have... I think I did tell a few teams, like, he's a pretty tough kid. He'd be someone I'd recommend. Well, well, was it just that you two just, like, testing yourselves, or was there, like, fucking personal animosity? Because, I mean, you fought the guy, what, one, two, three, four, five times, you know, like. uh... There was a bit of both. He pissed me off early in our second fight or something where he came right out of his jersey, and I had nothing to hold on to. Yeah. He really liked to do that. And anyone who fights, no one, you're not in a, you're in your gear still and he's completely out of his, you're in trouble. Yep. I don't care how tough you are, it's not as easy. So anyway, the next time I fought him, he came out of his jersey and I bear hugged him and as we were falling to the ice, I headbutt him and broke his nose. Figured I'll fucking fix you, you prick. And after that, I can't remember him coming out of his jersey. We had a few more tilts, but it was just one of those things where I was pissed off because I'm like, Christ, there's nothing I can do, so I'll do this and that'll fix it. And I think I even gave him a little remark when we were out of the rink, but luckily we ended up having, we got off pretty good after that. Yep. So. Well, you played 15, it's got you 15 games, 13 fights. So, five of which were against Mitchell. You fought Jamison Orr, Colt Orr's little brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that was Colton's little brother. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Wood and uh, uh, Colby McIntyre. And, and, uh, but I know you guys, like you said, you had a pretty strong team and going into the playoffs. Um, did you run a goalie or something? Is that what happened? Yeah, well, the team had a lot of trouble with David Marston. So he was a 6'4", big guy from the Charlottetown Abbeys, the PI team. And he basically ran roughshed over Campbellton before I got there. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for me, he could play a little bit. So the first game of the playoffs, because well, I fought him in the regular season and the boys were actually worried because I wouldn't throw much for punches till I got the helmet off because I came from Quebec where we were taking our own off. So I ate a few punches, popped his bucket off, and the boys thought I was in trouble. And then I was able to pull on his shoulder and get him bent over and fed him with about six uppercuts and beat him up pretty good. And I think that regular season game went to overtime. And in between the periods, I was skating out by the red line trying to get Martian to come out to start overtime the right way, and he obviously didn't want anything to do with that at that point in time, but I was having fun. 
And then when we played them in the playoffs, Remy, the coach, and this is where me and him really started running into a conflict of interest. He put me out and we were matching me against Marston, but they were putting him on the ice as a top four D-man. So I was getting a ton of ice time and I don't contribute much offensively, but Marston was a ghost. And then in between the first and second period, he stapled me to the bench and said, well, it's a, we're tied still, like we need to get some more skill out there. And then I'm sitting on the bench for the next two periods watching Marston just run around free. Yeah. So now I'm getting that caged animal and I'm furious. And then the coach puts me out with a minute 30 left and Marston will not step on the ice. So I'm mad looking for blood. They got no one. They got a fairly skilled lineup out there. No one for me to really tangle with. So the puck got dumped into the zone, and it's the first game of the first round of the playoffs. Their goalie went out, played the puck, and he was skating back to the net, and I ran him from behind and clipped the goal post, and I turned around, dropped my gloves, and no one came. <laughs> and it probably would have ended right there, but our middleweight, Rennie Lavoie, decided to sucker punch their captain from behind at the same time. Now all chaos is going on. Their goalie's up. It's a six-on-four for them, and the Linos are holding me back. So I think they basically suspended me for the rest of that round. Yep. And the coach was pretty leery on how he used me after that. Yep. Probably half-rightfully so, but I did send a message. Well, there, yeah, like how, uh, well, you know, we'll kind of go on this topic when you're talking about, like, the coaches and stuff. How, uh, well, obviously it's frustrating, but, like, even when you get back to the Quebec League and stuff, how how frustrating was that to be um, just coached that way and, like, you know, cha- like, uh, did you ever have any coaches that sort of, like, you know, would mess with you at all or for the most part was it pretty... Okay, just they let you do your thing and trusted you enough that you would you've done it enough to know or how how was it? Uh, I had a tougher time with how the coaches in Tedford handled me a lot of the time because they weren't a team that relied on the toughness as much. So my first year having Ronnie, the GM we had in Laval, and he was in Dunn, he had a fair influence on how they coached, which helped, but they were a team that always seemed to want to keep a fighter on the bench. Like if we still have one bullet left in our gun where players are safe, and that would drive me absolutely insane having to sit there on the bench. Whereas before in Laval, it was, you know, go get your two fights. Go, go. We're not worried. We got other guns. So that was tough. My second year was kind of a mess just because... The team owed me money. I didn't come back till November. So I'm out of shape, showing up late. And then Duplain was gone, so I'm their only guy. And the coach is just completely mind-screwing me that piece and that I have absolutely no respect for. So he was a guy that like, he'd talk you down before fights, like, tell me not to fight boss, eh? and then put me out on the ice against him make me embarrass myself yeah and i finally the one point got mad in between periods told him if you're going to put me out there against him i'm fucking going him 
And he said, well, you know, if you go home, you got to be really careful with his right hand. So now I'm completely going into a fight. Mind fucked. Yeah. I'm more worried about the other guy than what I'm going to do. And, I mean, you can see it if you watch the fight when Boss is in Saguenay and I'm in Tatford. And, I mean, I look like a shell of myself trying to, all I'm trying to do is pull him off balance and stay away from his right hand instead of fighting my fight, which would have been better. And, I don't know, I found the easiest coach was Walston and Laval because I knew exactly what to expect and tap on the ass never really sent out to get a guy just sent out on the ice and i knew what i was supposed to do and for the most part they were fairly good as far as everyone else trevor jober was great in sagney he'd, he'd throw a name out like opening start of the lineup he'd call me billy for billy the kid instead of the cowboy <laughs> but when i got into Laval, they didn't understand that so it kind of became the cowboy because well the western culture doesn't really translate in french i guess yeah so but yeah the coach definitely makes a big difference just knowing exactly what's expected and then having a little more free reign sure is nice no absolutely so like oh like you said oh five oh six you go back to laval you're you're 21 uh you know you got Current yeah. coach in there, uh, who had Did coached. you know they didn't even want me that year? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know the story. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I know he had yeah, to fight luckily. for you to get you. Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at my card the year before. I fought everyone, but I didn't do that great. And Laval was one of the heavier teams in the league. They were bringing in guys from the A. They were bringing in bigger games. A lot of them didn't show up to camp who were promised or were supposed to be. Yeah. Which they brought me in just to, like, I remember having the conversation with Bobby Dallas where it was, you know, you're not going to play every game, kid. And when we dress you, we want you doing crazy shit like going into their bench. We want you taking slap shots at the other team and warm up. We want you to be like our secret weapon. You're going to get suspended, but we'll pay you. Don't worry about it. So that was kind of the initial role they were bringing me in for. Yeah. Turned out I stuck a little bit better than that, thankfully. Yeah. Because it's not fun putting a big target on your back in that league either. And yeah. that's essentially what I would have been doing. Well, at that point, I mean, that, that shit's sort of, that's kind of out of character for you too. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you're not like, I mean, you know, Serge LaBelle or LP Sharpino might do that, but I mean... You know, I can't see you doing that, or you know. Well, I get the tap and I get my instructions. I mean, yeah, I'll do what I got to do. Yeah. And another <clears throat> big thing about me not doing that is I didn't play much. I played two to three minutes a game. I was out there, and there was always a guy lined up next to me. It's yeah. not like I had the opportunity where Terrio's got a much crazier name, but Terrio was a third fourth defenseman a lot of years yeah so he had tons of ice time to you know most of the games he played clean if you left him alone but every once in a while he'd do something not out of character but he'd just have that plenty of time to do it same yeah. thing with Kote although Kote really liked running guys he well, was on a mission <laughs> usually on the ice 
Well, it's funny. Well, of course, this is the year. Yeah, I mean, you played with Kote kind of earlier, and you know when you first got there the year before. But here in 0506 he was actually injured the year before. Yeah, well, and it's a shame because this year he's hurt so much too. But I know, yeah, he was there. Well, just looking here, I mean, you played the four preseason games. You get into seven fights. So I mean, you were you were you were down. You were ready to roll. Um, yeah. Well, I want to say one of the preseason games was that might have been regular season in Verdun. It was right at the beginning of the year when the Cote Varhog fought. Yeah, it was preseason. Yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. I watched that last night. Yeah, when Cote buckled Varhog and put him out for the year with the blown knee. But that was the most unbelievable knockout I've ever seen live. Yeah, and I was sitting in the penalty box when that happened. Like, it was phenomenal. Just seeing Cote let loose and pull out, because Varrock had kind of taken the number one spot in the league with Cote being hurt so much the year before, and Cote was out to prove himself, and the start of the fight, it didn't look like he was going to do so well. And he got that hand loose, and all it took was one. Yep. It's too bad Varrock was gone for so long, but yeah, it was something to see, especially live. I mean... I've seen the footage a lot since, yeah. but to see it live was something else. Yeah, well, and then, well, it, well we're talking about, it, like, Patrick Cote is such a, like, polarizing figure in that league, and, I mean, I've talked to guys on this show, and basically the general sentiment is, like, I've had a couple guys say, like, that's he's the meanest guy they've ever played against or with, and they're, like, in terms of on the ice, they're, like, he's just mean. Like any means necessary, he doesn't give a shit. He'll do whatever. He doesn't care. Like uh, being in the locker room with him, and and I heard also heard you know fairly keep kind of keep to himself or whatever. But I know I know he really liked you. But what was it? What was it like initially? Just kind of getting to know Patrick Cote, and what's Patrick Cote like? Because I mean, everyone's heard the struggles. He's in jail now for bank robbery and all the drugs and everything else. And but what what was uh, Cote like? He was one of the best guys I played with to me personally. I mean, he treated me great. He would do what he can to look out for me when he was in the lineup, and I appreciated that. I want to kind of sow my own path too. And I mean, he taught me a little bit about you know, how to, what he would do in certain situations, and took me under his wing a bit. We got along great. He actually talked me out of doing steroids because I was offered by a fan of the team that they'd supply them for me. And Cote told me they were the most addicting thing he's ever done and told me not to touch them. Really? So he treated me with a ton of respect, and I got nothing but great things to say about the guy. Yeah. I know he ended up – I even – when I was in Tetford and he was with uh, Stack Summum Chiefs team for St. John, I tried to fight him. And he wouldn't fight me. Just I chased him around, hit him, and he kind of backed up and I dropped my gloves. He picked up one, flung it up into the home crowd in Laval, and I picked up my chit and was pretty frustrated. After the game, we were bullshit. He said, I respect you too much. I cannot fight you, man. I do not want to hurt you. Well, there you go. Yeah. He, 
you wouldn't expect to hear that when you hear all the other stories, but yeah, you're one of his guys. He treated you accordingly. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, and like you said on that team, I mean, uh, uh, you had like, you had some characters on that team. Uh, another another guy you were talking like bring him in from the American Hockey League uh, was Yuri Machevsky. What was Yuri like? Yeah, Yuri was a pretty quiet guy. He did his business and fought. He wasn't a guy who wanted to fight a ton in that league, and he could play a little bit and be a presence. And he, I think he could have been more of a presence if he was more into the role, but. A lot of the guys, when they came there, they weren't there like me looking at this. Like, this was pretty much my NHL. Yeah. I mean, I wish I would have went down to the States and gave it a go there and been doing the one-a-days and maybe tried to climb a ladder, but I never really got the offers and the few teams I talked to. I told them I was willing to take a pay cut, but they were substantial, and they didn't really want to guarantee a spot for a fighter. That you guys can look me up, and this is what I'm going to do for you. It's not going to be anything else. You're going to work with me on everything else. So I never end up going. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is kind of coming to the Quebec League more so at the end of their careers, which is a lot tougher in some regards. Because it's not a place you're looking forward to being like I was. Yeah. Well, another 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 guy you had on that team was uh, Leon Delorme. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was quite a character. Yeah. Great guy, would give you the shirt off his back, actually. When I got out of hockey and was working for a bit, then ran into some tough times in, I want to say, 09, when there was the financial crisis. I ended up guiding bear hunts for him in Saskatchewan for a couple months in the spring and staying at his place and made a little bit of money from him and... I have nothing but good things to say about Leon. I know he took us, especially all the younger Western guys, out drinking and partying, and he'd slap down the credit card on more than a few occasions and say, I got this one, boys. So, Well, another character, but. he follows me on Twitter, I know, and he'll be listening to this. I got to throw it because I know he, he was, uh, I think he came down there with Leon, was uh, Dwayne Vandell. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne actually was my roommate. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. He was a death defenseman and in there to fight when he had to. He had a few real good bouts with Jason Clark, if I remember correctly. And good guy, quiet, and really couldn't have asked for much of a better roommate. Although I did quite enjoy living with Chad Nicholson, too. He was a Great guy from Saskatchewan. Yeah, there's another character, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the guys that was on that team, and of course he put up like the massive penalty minutes, I think he had the junior record in penalty minutes uh, in the Quebec anyway, was Marc-Andre Waugh. And I've heard yeah. different stories about this guy, different mixed reviews. Did you? How did you get along with him? I got along really good with Marc-Andre. I mean... <clears throat> He didn't seem to embrace the role to the level that you would think, because he looks like a big, scary dude, especially when you meet him. He's missing all his teeth and everything else. He definitely had the potential to be, but, I mean, 
he didn't give you what you were really hoping for, I don't think, most of the time. I know he had one phenomenal fight against Sylvain Blouin, and Sylvain's no slouch by any stretch. No. Yeah. But aside from that, there weren't too many times where he really shined. I mean, that league might have just been... It's not everyone's cup of tea. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think his thing with Blue Ann, I think that was after Blue Ann had suckered Cantrell, right? George Cantrell and broke his jaw. And and I think it was the next game, I think Wah did the revenge thing on him, I, I believe. Yeah, that was definitely what happened. And that definitely really put a damper on Cantrell for yeah. that whole year. Because that was his first game in the league. And broken jaw and we never really ever saw the this apparent tough guy from the UHL that he was supposed to be yeah but I in hindsight it's understandable but oh that cheap that was brutal cheap shot too like and that was the thing like Blue Ann was so tough he didn't need to do that shit you know that was so bush like you know yeah but uh, but I mean that shit as bush as it is I mean, that gains you so much extra room when people know you're that crazy. Well, yeah, well, that there's that too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can say it's as butch as you want, but and I miss when the games were played like that. I mean, he had to answer the bell for it too. He did. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I enjoy seeing the villains. <coughs> I think hockey's missing seeing the villains like that where you get these blow-ups and you get that real heated atmosphere. I mean, the closest thing we got was the Calgary Edmonton this year, and I mean, really, that's powder puff shit compared to what you used to get. Oh yeah, well, and I mean, I think that's what, at least back then, I respect the fact that at least you could get your revenge, you know. Yeah. And if the guy, hey, and if the guy didn't want to fight, it was like, well, I'm going to get my pound of flesh somehow. So somebody was paying for it. I mean, that's the thing. You yeah. Try to, you try to do that now, and they're giving you 20 games and. And everything else back then, you might have just got an extra ten minute misconduct, you know. Yeah, well, I remember Cote giving me shit about that. He's like, "They do a cheap shot. Don't go out there and fight fucking Dubé. Go out there and run one of their fucking skill guys. Try to break his fucking wrist. That'll teach him. Fucking fighting Dubé. That doesn't do a fucking thing." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, really? I never really looked at it that way until you told me there, Pat." <laughs> but, <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong one bit. Well, yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Well, uh, and it's unfortunate that year, like you said, with uh, Cote and being injured so much. I think he only played like 10 or so games. Um, but um, <laughs> one of the incidents I wanted to talk about with, like we, uh, we were texting earlier, was in, I was and I watched the video last night and I'm still laughing after watching it. Um, was in Laval. You guys are playing St. Hyacin, and big brawl breaks out. And at the time, Derek Parker had just come to or had come to the league that year. And everybody listening yeah. knows who Derek Parker is. And he was kind of running through the league, and he would put on a show. And I, I, hey, I'm sure he was just hated in every locker room. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, you're playing St. I with Parker, and I think he'd already been kicked out or whatever. But a brawl kind of breaks out, and Serge LaBelle, in street clothes, dives over the glass onto the ice and tackles someone. You got 
coach is running across the ice to get on the to get on the St. Hyacinth bench, and you got Cote trying to kill Parker. And Cote's in street clothes, and you could just see him come down from the crowd. Like, what are your memories yeah. of that incident? Well, my memories of the incident are a little vague because as soon as the bell the bell jumped over, I don't know if I'd fought him earlier in the game or who I had fought or if I was suspended, but I was up in the crowd. Okay. So I was also racing down the crowd, and in the video, I believe I'm wearing a red flag shirt. You can see me jumping over the glass and trying to find where Cote is because Cote is going into a minefield, and he's equipped to do it, but I don't like seeing a teammate go in against 15 guys on the other team because he's chasing Parker back towards their bench by the time I get over there and into their locker room. He's trying to get out of you know, yeah, that's the thing, because Parker ru- runs on the ice and, like, basically is long in his underwear. Like, he's already been yeah. kicked out. He's out in his underwear, no shirt, and, you know, and then here's Cote chasing after him, and, oh, what a scene. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say it was me and Udavisic who came around the bench and hopped into the St. High bench and kind of no major punches or anything were thrown, but we are trying to get to where Cote was to make sure he was on at least even ground. Yeah, well, it's just like, I, I was watching the footage last night, and I was just laughing to myself, because it's less like, oh, what a show, what a show, yeah. Yeah, I miss seeing that, I mean, I went to see a game last year, actually, to see Parker play, and I mean, it was a decent game, but there surely wasn't nearly as much as there used to be, and it's a shame, but that's just the way the whole world's going yeah, no, it's uh, like I said, yeah, all the yeah, all the junior leagues have kind of putting a stop to it, and you know, or slowly weeding it out, and of course that's the pipeline, right? So you know, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's even sort of hitting the Quebec league. I mean, you still have some, you still have some dudes rolling around for sure, but uh, yeah, it's a far cry from when you were there, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, you mentioned his name earlier, and one of the guys you fought all the time was Dubé with Quebec. Um, I don't even know. Yeah. I lost count how many I was going through. I can't remember how many times you fought him. Probably double digits by the time you were done. Um, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. What was it uh, What was it like fighting Jacques? Uh, he was another guy that you're in a real tough time to actually hurt. Yeah. Because he had a cinder block on him, and he had similar balance issues than me. I think I might have had a little edge on him with a balance, actually, but... I mean, one of my biggest issues with Jacques where the fights would go on for so long, I'd try to throw lefts. And as soon as I went to throw lefts, I'd fall. It was almost like I could go back and watch the video and I'd be like, why would I even try? Why? <laughs> but, uh, no, he was a lot of fun to fight because you knew exactly you're in for a stand-up. He was going to throw and not really try to shake you too much and you just go out and do your thing yeah and i wasn't the most open fighter by any stretch but my left hand was to stop my right hand was to try to go unless i got into trouble and had to adjust well i was going to ask you uh before with the jersey thing did you do anything with your jerseys like did you have an oversized one or anything like that or I definitely wanted an oversized jersey, and I started to get more into that when I got to Laval, and 
think Saguenay, they gave me a pretty big jersey, but not a goalie jersey by any stretch. And definitely wanted it to be the bigger, the better. And if I was coming out in the last minute or two, I'd try to make sure all the tie-down straps were undone. And you get my at least my elbow pads off the bench or the whole shoulder pads. I'd prefer that, so I was swinging as freely as possible. Yep. But... For the most part, I mean, I went back and forth with the regular tie-downs or using a shoelace or skate lace and a quarter tie-down because that one really, you can cinch it down and hold it tight, too. Yeah. Wish I had that earlier on when I was fighting Rasty and he put my jersey over my face from the front. But I was going to say, you need the front one with him. Yeah, it was... Uh... Um, oh, and for anybody listening, in, in this one, it, in this season, you played 47 games, 74 fights. Like, I can't even, yeah. I can't even imagine. Like, you must have just hurt all the time, every morning. Yeah, I want to say it was 67 in the regular season. The other seven were preseason and playoffs. Yeah. I think it was only one in the playoffs. But, yeah, the end of the year was actually ahead of Dubé and Parker for most fights that year, and I blew up my shoulder at the end of the year. Yeah. So I missed, I think, the last two weekends, which really pissed me off, and they both passed me in penalty minutes and fighting majors. But, uh, yeah, the one game I played in the playoffs before I got suspended, my shoulder was right taped up, and... I think I fought Gooselin before the puck dropped and got us both kicked out of the game, which for me, that's a holy grail fight because you're getting rid of one of their top four D-men for the whole game in exchange for a guy who sits on the end of the bench. Yeah, well... So I thought I did really well in that one. Yeah, well, actually, you're other, you actually I had two... I fight you had, was decent, but... You actually had two fights in the playoffs. You fought Brian Lachance, too. Oh, I fought Lachance first, but yeah, getting yeah. Gooselin out was, I think, a real good play on my end. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just laughing. 74 fights, you don't even lead the league. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. There's, like, yeah, I don't even think there was 74 fights in the NHL this year, let alone one guy having that, you know. Yeah. But that's just how crazy it was. But one of the names... And then there's from- even games in that league where I fought three times and they gave you a two-minute roughing penalty because we didn't have many fighters dressed. Yeah. My dad actually came to watch one game where I fought Christian three times. Well, there you go. It's like you're reading my notes here. That was going to be <laughs> my next question because I think you fought Christian seven times that year. Yeah. And there's a and big, big dude. I mean, everybody knows who we're talking about, Brent, the late Brandon Christian. Um, played, you know, he played, bounced around the minors, played in the Quebec League forever. And I know you guys had a rivalry. Um, what were your thoughts on Brandon Christian? Yeah, there was no love lost in that rivalry. I mean, I remember the first time he came to the league and he fought Rosensoff and he had a full cul-de-sac with a ponytail. Yep. And when that bucket came off, the whole crowd in the barn was just roaring. Then the next year, which would have been this year that we're talking about, he went to the shaved head and he definitely looked a lot meaner than than the cuteness he had the year before. (laughs) Yep. But, uh, yeah, the first few fights that year, there wasn't much animosity. But when Cote came back from a broken hand and Cote was telling him I can't fight and he jumped Cote, 
that kind of just shows the type of guy he was when he played. And to me, a guy like Cote deserves quite a bit of respect for what he's done in his career. And if you want to prove yourself against him, you want to prove yourself against him when he's relatively healthy. Because Cote's not turning down a fight against Christian because he's scared. I guarantee you that. Yeah. So after him and Cote fought, I got on the ice with Christian as soon as possible after. And Christian asked me if he wanted to go. I said no, and I two-handed him across the legs as hard as I could and sucker punched him. I think ever since then, there's always been a little bit of hatred in that bouts we had. Yeah. Well, th- well, there you go. Like I said, that was going back to what Kote had talked to you about, right? Yeah. <laughs> but why you fight Dubay go after one of their guys? Well, there you go. But uh, yeah, and well, I could have went after someone else to send a message, but I mean, that was a message for Pat too. Like, yeah, yep. I don't think many guys ever had to stick up for Pat. He never would have expected it, but I'm pretty sure he appreciated that one. Absolutely. Well, just kind of rolling through. I mean, I, like I said, you just you know you just keep scrolling this card, and the names came up: Parker, Jason Bone, and Sebastian Sear. And I mean, uh, well, one guy I did want to ask you about. Um, well, I'm going to hold you off there, and just for the guys who don't know who the late Sebastian Sear is, yeah, he was a military guy, and he would be, I would say, top three to five punchers that I fought in that league. He hit hard. I know my first year, my roommate Randy Copley thought I had a broken jaw because he hit me so hard. But he wrung it off my ear and turned my whole ear purple and it was just the side of my head. And you could hear the thump across the rink. Yep. So he's a guy who I had a lot of respect for and I ran into him a few times outside of hockey and a complete gentleman. Yep. No, it was really, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, uh, I believe he had a, a heart attack or something training. I think he was doing MMA or something. And, uh, yeah, I'm not privy to the story of what exactly happened, but I always had a lot of respect for that guy. Yeah, well, like you said, tough dude. He was in that league for a long time, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and he hit because I, uh, he, I know he got Morasti once, buckled Morasti, and, I mean, everybody knows how – hard Morasti's head is and uh you know yeah you know it's uh Sear the last name spelt C-Y-R anybody listening go to my YouTube channel and type that in I got the fight with Morasti on there and stuff and I got a few of his fights and uh yeah bad dude man yeah absolutely yeah um well one of the characters I wanted to ask you about who was a big kid and um geez we're getting morbid here how many guys are we talking about who have passed away but uh, another guy who passed away but was Tyler Lawson. Um, yeah. That was a tough he was kid. He was a tough kid, man. Yeah. Oh, was he ever. And if he had a bit of a better head on his shoulders, he was a guy who could have went somewhere, too, because yep. he wasn't without skill. Definitely not cut from the same cloth as me, and he's the one guy in that league who gave me a definitive knockout where I was out. Not cold laying on the ice, but that would have been the worst. I'm not sure if it looks like the worst loss, but he caught me with one and was when I was playing in Tetford. 
And my journey, he and him squared off, and I went to try to, for some reason, I figured I'd keep him at arm's reach, which he's got three inches on me, so that was probably stupid. But his, the bag grabbed me in the back of the collar, came up over my head, and I ate three or four of the, where the head connects to your spine and put me out cold, and I was flash black for a few seconds, went to pop up, knees were gone, fell over. Got back up, and the linesmen were trying to get me to go to the dressing room, and I wanted no part of it. So I got the adrenaline pumping, and I'm pissed off. Yeah. They got him to bring me over to the penalty box, and I'm sitting in the penalty box, and I'm going to jump him as soon as I get out on the ice because people don't knock me out. And then uh, Terrio could see that I was mad. He was in the box, too, and Terrio leaned over and kind of hollered at me, Ace Watson. And I go over and I look he's like everyone knows you got the biggest balls in the league kid your head's fucked up don't fight and that was one hell of a compliment coming from Terrio and he was right yep and I think I owe a lot of that to Kote too because I know him and Joel were pretty good buddies yep but see we're we're get we're getting the inside story here on the on the LNH on the on the crazy guys. This is why I like to have you on, and you get you to tell some stories, get some inside tips, because you know as fans, I mean, we just see the you know the crazy, right? And we see the yelling and the yeah. screaming and the show, and uh, it, it's I, I like to hear the you know the, you know these behind the scenes kind of you know just like you know talk with the boys, right? So yeah, yeah. There's a respect amongst guys for the most part, and yeah. I think I'd earned that in Terrio's mind, and he just reminded me that there's more important things than getting your revenge right away. Yep. And we played loss in a week or two later, and I had to fight him. And I don't get too weary and nervous for fights often, but that was a tough one. And actually halfway through the fight, Lawson kind of stopped and grabbed me because I was more holding on than fighting. He said, come on, Swanson. Get going here, fuck. And I'm just like, okay. And I threw a little bit more, and I know Lawson had the edge, but, I mean, for a guy as crazy as he was, that's a compliment in itself as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, well, and this this season um, comes to a, a climactic end. Um, with the with the massive brawl, you guys are playing Quebec Radio X in the in the playoffs, and of course, uh, no love loss between you guys and those guys. And uh, yeah, you, you we in- actually had the same owners too, which yeah didn't help any matters. Yeah, because we felt like the poor Western team, and they were the crown jewel. Well, yeah, we everyone knew where the money was going. Yeah, and uh, well. <laughs> We won't get into that, but yeah, I, I heard the frustration on a few levels about that. But um, yeah, so you were sort of you guys sort of looked at as bad news bears, and you know, and they were the Cadillac, right? So, but um, yeah, but you end up you're in Quebec, and I and uh, you guys get into it with the fans, and I mean, which I mean, everybody listening, I mean, everyone's seen you know teams or a player or two get into it with a fan and whatever. Okay. But I have never seen stuff like this, 
where you had some, yeah. you guys were javelin sticks into the crowd. The I think uh, Rasmussen ended up getting Brian Rasmussen at the end of the bench. He ended up getting pepper sprayed by the cops, and and uh, you were yeah. you weren't like you said you were injured, so you weren't dressed. Nope. But I know you well, were in was, there putting on your. I was injured and dressed. So I had the torn AC joint in my right shoulder, and that was the only playoff game I played. So as we mentioned before, I would have fought Lachance and then Gooselin, and I was out in street clothes yep. from the game. And then I came peeling around through the basement and by the dressing room to come out because I couldn't really get through where the stands were without getting into some real trouble there. Yep. So I came out that way and was in street clothes by the stick rack and getting pelted with water bottles and beers so i javelined a few sticks back and i'll never forget seeing rasmussen come screaming beside us and he's maced and we didn't know what happened because i'm obviously not on the far end of the bench i'm by where we're, the tunnel is through a few sticks up at the crowd and rasmussen comes streaming by and i've never seen a guy in skates do such high knee jumps <laughs> he's double knee jumping up knees up by his chest and screaming running in to lay in the shower and put water over his eyes because he just got maced point blank when the glass broke and didn't break or fell out of the stanchion at the far end of the glass bench it was pretty nuts oh yeah it's insane and again everybody listening go to my youtube channel type it in laval versus quebec you'll see it got the whole incident on there and, uh, of course, this is the, before the days of, fortunately, before $300 one-piece sticks, so we're still chucking wood in the crowd, but, uh, you know. Oh, they were one-pieces back yeah, then. Yeah, I guess they would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, so, well, I mean, it was a heck of a souvenir for the Quebec fans. Yeah, but... Uh, oh, they were throwing them right back. <laughs> that's true. I was going to say, your form looked pretty good for a, you know, busted up shoulder. You had good form chucking them up there. Yeah, I was probably just ignoring the pain, which I shouldn't be doing, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was just insane. That uh, um, yeah. Well, the thing I wish they had more footage of was the next game that they played in Laval, because yeah. what happened there was crazy in Quebec. But to see how rowdy and upset the fans in Laval were with all of our toughness now suspended. Yeah. And like the amount of beer that got poured on the Quebec team. I'm sitting up, and I'm like, what the heck just went through my line of vision? And then I see Bouchard, one of their skilled defensemen, just drop like a sack of potatoes on the bench. Well, they're throwing eggs across the ice from behind our bench because they got the benches on the opposite sides. And they're pegging players on the other team from across the ice with eggs. <laughs> well, and, and I know... Roy lost it and threw a puck into the stands at someone after he got about three beer poured on him. Security would just let guys walk by and pour beer on people in the penalty box. Yeah. It was utter chaos. I think they stopped the game for about 20 minutes till the cops arrived. Yeah, well, I had heard with the Royer thing in the penalty box that they had dumped a thing of piss on them. And it very well could have been because I was up in the stands and it looked like beer, but that wouldn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, apparently there was, I don't know who was telling me this, who told me this. But it was, uh, yeah, they had it set up in the, there was a bucket or something in the, in the, in the can before the game and a, you know, whatever, fill it up. And then when Roy went to the box or whoever was going to go to the box and Roy happened to be the unlucky one, 
they just dumped it on him. And I know that's when he snapped. And yeah, he, he had grabbed a bunch of the pucks from the timekeeper or whatever. And he started trying to rifle those into the crowd of people. And fortunately he missed, he hit the glass, but cause that, I have that video up there too. But, uh, Oh yeah. Like you said, stopped the game for 20 minutes and the cops were all over. And Yeah. I know I had a little go in earlier in the year with Remy too, where I think I ended up jumping him cause I was trying to take Pat's advice and go after a more skilled guy. And Remy was no slouch either. No, but uh, I jumped him, and then well, next time we played him or later in that game, I thought he was going to go me, and he's like, "No, we're not going." And the faceoff got one back to me. Tried to take a slap shot right at me. <laughs> Luckily, I just turned one of his players, and he hit his own player in the numbers, and then we fought. But <laughs> it was quite humorous. Well, I was I I forgot to ask you this earlier, but just I know, like I was saying before, as fans, we see the craziness and everything else. When you were out taking warm ups and everything else, who were some of the like? Were there some guys that were just you know, who were the biggest like yappers and stuff, like setting things up or just yelling and screaming, or was it, uh, or was it for pretty cordial for the most part? For the most part, there wasn't a ton. I mean, Charbonneau, you could never get to shut up. I don't think you could do at him in the face hard enough to shut his mouth. <laughs> yeah. But aside from him, most of the guys are pretty quiet. And Max, well, he's longer in the tooth then, and he'd stretch beside me and say, ah, let's take the night off and save it for fighting the French guys. And I'd always tell him no. But that was just Maxie and... For the most part, I mean, you'd stretch and sometimes you'd talk and the guy would want to take your number. Sometimes you'd just be stretching, you'd be glaring. But for the most part, warm-ups weren't too bad. I know I can recall getting sent in my second year in Laval when I was supposed to just be there to do the crazy shit. They were asking me, I think the GM and a couple guys brought me into the coach's office and they're like, yeah, we want you taking lots of slap shots at uh, Tepford Mines and warm-ups. They got nobody. They just got Tidball, so let's make sure they know they're in for hell today. But for the most part, it was pretty cordial. Yeah. So, well, so did you take, were you taking slap shots at the Tepford team? Uh, definitely snap shots, but... <laughs> I wasn't sitting there at center ice from lined up. I just pick up a puck and launch it in there from doing your half circles and not make it so obvious, but you definitely did that a little bit. Yeah. Well, so you go there and like you said, then the the following season you get sent to uh Tetford Mines. Were you uh what was your initial fe- like I mean, you hear the different stories about Tetford and stuff. What were your initial feelings about going there? Well, I initially actually got traded to the Radio X in Quebec. Really? So, I mean, me and Dubé would have been a heck of a one-two punch. Yeah. But the same owner owned Laval the year before, and he stiffed me on my travel money, so he owed me my travel money in my last week of playoff pay. So I think it was about three grand, and he didn't want to pay me. Yeah. He's like, well, that's a different team, different GM. I'm like... I'm talking to Brigoli, the GM of the Radio X. I'm like, I don't care. It's the same fucking owner. I'm not going to play for him. So then they ended up trading me to Tatford. 
And I didn't get the money, but that turned into a par for the course in the later years, which is a big reason why I stopped playing out there. Yeah. So uh, going to Tetford, I mean, I wasn't thrilled. It wasn't the worst thing because at least I knew the GM, Ronnie, from when he was in Laval the year before. So I wasn't going to be completely surprised by what I'd have to deal with. Yeah. Go to a completely new management. But it was a tough year because the owner wasn't very happy and he didn't buy the team to have it as a tax write-off. I think he bought the team thinking you could own a hockey team and make money, which I don't know why any guy with money would think that. Yeah. So we were taking... Instead of for full checks, you'd get like vouchers from the grocery store. And so would you be willing to take a hundred dollars in groceries instead of cash? And I'll work with a guy too. Like I took grocery money because the guy's got to eat. But it does get a little bit irritating at times. Yeah. And then same thing that year. He didn't have enough money to pay the year-end bills, and I was walking away from about three grand again. Yeah. And, you know, when you work for a living, people don't generally stiff you your paychecks. Yeah. Or I haven't been anyway. It was kind of getting to the point where, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. I mean, and the kicker for me was I wasn't like, oh, well, you can stay in your hotel or your apartment for free, and we'll get the money together. Well, I'm waiting to go back to Vernon, and go on, carry on with summer life and have a job. I'm losing a couple hundred bucks a day. I'm not working. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. How long do you wait around to try to get your money? Yeah. Whereas a guy who goes on EI, well, he'll ride that out all summer if he can. Yeah. No, absolutely. Oh. Well, and then, like, the, yeah, you know, that's got to be frustrating. I wasn't too. leaving the Chiefs either because they were, I mean, you'd rather play for the Chiefs than a, tough team and what they were putting together that summer with the move to St. John yeah. was looking pretty good and then I mean, getting traded for Linehouse, I mean he's got skill and toughness so I can see why they did it. Yeah, I know Cote was right pissed when they traded me but he told me that when we played each other during the season. Well, I mean, how frustrating is that for you? You could be there, and I mean, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm not knocking the guy or whatever. I know you actually fought him a whole bunch of times, was like a Patrick Ellard, but it's like you're kind of like, you know, you could be in the Ellard spot, right? And it's like, you know, like was that sort of frustrating on your part? A little bit, but it definitely lit a fire underneath me too, because that would have been the summer I trained the hardest, and I came out that beginning of that year on fire they had that Guillaume Richard I think in St. Jean and he was a guy who played for their senior team the year before and I broke his nose and dummied him up pretty good and I think I had a lot of good fights against that Summum Chiefs team because I was pissed off that they traded me so I was going to try to prove them wrong yeah I went like subbed in twice yeah. I went Francois LaRue twice that year, and I was going after anyone I could off that team. Well, that's Simon I don't Dead. think me and Bosse ever lined up that year. No. But was it Simon Desmoreau and fucking, uh, yeah, he fought. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, Ellard four times, and yeah. Um, 
Well, one of the things I did notice as I was kind of watching the footage a little bit, and like I said, you didn't do it very often, but I see you started kind of doing it here, was you sort of started playing to the crowd a little bit. Was this yeah, a, a little bit more with the hair whip, and yeah, well, there was the one with fighting against Bossum. Yeah, exactly. You got your hand back, like the Hulk Hogan thing, and yeah. That well, was, that was more of a fuck you to Quebec too, because they owed me their owner owed me money. Yeah. So I'm starting to get all these little small irritations throughout the league with different teams I'm playing too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that fight there, well, I mean, I got him battered and bloodied, but, I mean, a lot of those big native guys, they can take a beating. Yep. And that's a compliment. I don't mean it in a negative way. No, absolutely. Well, but just like tough dudes. Morasti's yeah. the same way. Yeah. Boston was just eating my shots, and, I mean, I'm pretty sure he had a broken nose. He had blood all over his face. And I think, well, it's good. I'm going to play the crowd a little bit. Get the Hulk Hogan and, and he popped me with one right when I did that and <laughs> threw a bit more. And then I think I did like the kind of degeneration X for the, when you remember the wrestling when you're a kid with the yeah, radio yeah. X thing, kind of as a screw you guys. But I guess he would have been one of the guys they brought in to try to fill the spot that I was in that they couldn't sign me to. Yeah. Well, one one of the guys that you fought three times that year, and I he was a previous guest um, on my old website, uh, was Dean Mayrad. What was it like fighting Big Dean? Uh Big Dean. Well, he's the machine. Yes, but at that point of time, he wasn't the same fighter. And I mean, I think I had a pretty good record against him in those fights, but he was fighting left-handed. I don't think he could even throw with his right anymore. I give him the utmost respect for still doing it like that. Yeah. Because I know if I got switched to my lefts, I'd be out of the league in a week. Yeah. But for him to be able to do that's a huge compliment. And, and big, strong, but you could tell the the fire was starting to leave his eyes a little bit. I mean... You can't punch with your power hand. I mean, it's got to be frustrating to be fighting as a lesser percentage of yourself. Yeah. I and mean, everyone fights through injuries, but to be fighting one-handed. That'd be scary, he, right? You got guys coming yeah. after you, too. Like, he's a named guy, you know. So, yeah, it's like the wounded lion, right? And they're going to start going after him, you know. For sure. Because I know listening to, pretty sure he said it, he felt bad for John because he wasn't there to, back him up against all the heavyweights that year when he was on your podcast there. Yep, yep. But, yeah, it was an honor to fight him, and I'm glad I came away well in the fights, but I'm not sure how much, how great I would have fared if he was at 100%. Well, he's a bad dude, man. I think I would have done all right, but I definitely got off easier than I could have. Well, one name I want to hit you with here, and, uh, you know, he wasn't in the league for very long, and he was out in uh, Three Rivers, but you had a couple wars with him, was Robin Richards. Yeah. He was a character, and he was a guy who played a little bit more, too, and I don't know, we just kind of meshed when we fought, and they were pretty entertaining fights, I thought. Yes, they were. I think we went for a few beers and got along well off the ice as well, 
it was just a fun go around on the merry-go-round. <laughs> How many guys did you kind of really uh, like? Were there any guys from different teams that you kind of hung out with a lot? Like, I mean, you know, everyone has all oh, that one night or whatever. Was there guys that kind of like? Was there anybody on different teams that you kind of hung out with more more so than others? Uh, one guy that I didn't really play with a bunch, but I ended up hanging out with just because he was from Western Canada was Mark Black quite a bit. Yeah. And then aside from that, there wasn't a ton. Like, you'd run into guys you played with before, like Michael Novak I got to know pretty good, but he wasn't. He was a character, and I played with him for half a year, and then he was living in the same town, so. We hung out a lot, but for the most part, there wasn't a ton. Like, you go to the other towns, and you'd bullshit and hang out with the guys, but not too many guys you I got too close with. Yeah. Well, uh, before we leave uh, this this year, the, the one of the guys, um, I like, again, I just actually had, had his interview up um, a couple Sundays back, was uh, Brad Wingfeld who had just come to Sherbrooke yeah. that year. And I know you had, you fought with him a bunch of times. Uh, what was it like fighting winger? Uh, he was a tough fight for me and I can't recall him really hurting me, but he was so strong on his skates through both hands and the upper body strength where a guy with limited balance, who's trying to latch on and, keep himself up at times. I was in a vulnerable spot against him most of the time. And I think I listened to that interview and he said he never knew where my punches were coming from, but they were coming. And <laughs> it was a nice compliment, but I don't think I got the better of him in any of those, but I definitely stood in there and would do it again. Yeah. Well, and like I said, you're always like, you're fighting the name guys, but uh, you had mentioned him earlier with Sugden. And I mean, there's a minor league legend, and I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was rolling at that time. What was it like? What was it like fighting uh, Sugar? Well, the first fight, he caught me with a really good flurries of right while I was coming in. Like I said, I need to get that left kind of set, and I didn't. So I went down to a knee, and he fed me with about three or four more while I was trying to get up. Yeah. And then I ran to him after the game, and he actually apologized for those late shots. And I'm like, sugar, don't worry about it, man. I'm like, I was trying to get up. I was fair game. So real class act. And I was pretty happy when I fought him later in the year, but it wasn't, uh, it was a fortunate scenario for me where I knew he had a bad knee. So I kept him off balance. And I'd like to think it was a pretty good draw in that fight, which you can fight sugar to what I would consider a draw anyway. It was a pretty good accomplishment for me. Yeah. Well, like you said, the minor league legend. And, uh, I mean, he, he fought everybody. That's for sure. And, uh, no, absolutely. Um, well, we had kind of mentioned it before with the incident in St. Ice and everything else and kind of went back and forth, but I, I didn't really get, all right, we're back here with a little, uh, little power, little power surge, uh, scare there i thought we i thought i lost the whole thing but uh we were we're back up and running um i was just in the midst of asking you um we had briefly talked about him in the saint hyacin brawl and i mean he came in with that league and took it by storm and i mean i know he was hated by a lot of guys and uh he's a character 
But I didn't actually ask you about uh, Derek Parker. What are your thoughts on Parker? Yeah, well, on Parker, I mean, he was wild, young, and full of piss and vinegar. And he came in, and he was doing the uh, center jersey grab right when it was becoming popular, too. And that threw a lot of guys' fighting stances right off. And, I mean, he hates to hear it, but when he had his most success, he was spinning, and guys were completely off balance, and he was making them look foolish. Yeah. Yeah, but I played with him later on in Tatford, and he's always a guy who's a little out there. He's not quite on center, and I mean, a bit of a maniac, and he's gotten a little bit more out there if you follow him on Facebook or anything the past few years. I know he's gone quiet now, and I think he's in a bit of a better place, but I mean, I visited him a year ago in St. Jerome when he was playing there, and I mean, he hasn't changed too much. He's still pretty close to the same guy. Just a few different beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, he was a pretty big treat to play with. I remember the one thing that stands out is in Tetford, he was really pissed off because St. Hyde got rid of him and replaced him with McMorrow. So he really wanted to get McMorrow back, and they had an opening fight face-off that wasn't that great, and then Similar to as happens in Tatford Mines, the coaches bench the toughness on the bench. So we got me, Parker, and Duplain. I think that would have rattled or bettered what St. High had because they had McMorrow, LaBelle, Doucette in hand. And yeah, we were stable to the bench. And about a minute and a half left, Parker goes, Swanee, I'm going in their bench, taking the next guy. We got Bisonet, or no, we didn't have Bisonet then. We had the year before his coach, and I'm like, well, before you go on the ice, I'm going to go on there, so at least I'm there when something happens. But I wasn't really sure how serious he was about going in their bench. I should have known better. So I hopped on the ice and go to kind of play a shift, and the coach is kind of like, what the hell is going on? I didn't call for this. And Parker hops on the ice with the next change and beeline straight across center ice and Superman's into the other team's bench. I came storming in and, well, now I got, I think I had hand and do set and McMorrow's on top of Parker and Parker skates up and laying on the ground in the bench. And it was quite a little scene there, but never question what that man will do. No, no. But yeah, stand-up guy when I played with him, he'd go to war and wouldn't pick his spots ever. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he, uh, he'd fight everybody and anybody and uh, yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I've heard he's, uh, he's getting better and uh, we'll just, you know, he's had issues and stuff, but uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, I'm ho- hopefully he's doing better. But uh, one of the... Uh, well, another character was a, uh, I think he's from New York, and big jacked up dude that I, I see just as I'm scrolling through here. You fought a bunch of times. Was Neil Pasilico? Yeah, he was definitely a big, strong guy. But I mean, he wasn't great on his skates, and I, I mean, he had a short little run there where he was doing quite well. But yeah, I know I got along with him pretty well but not a huge fan of some of the stuff that 
happened outside of hockey that I've heard about. But aside from that, I never had any issues with him. He was always a good guy on the ice. Yeah. Um, well, the following year, like you were saying, it's your final year. It's 08-09. Um, you know, like you said, you've been kind of dicked around on your travel, on your money. And, you know, and at this point, um, you're, you're late getting in. It's November 30th is your first game. Um, yeah, so it was quite irritating. I come in and they got no one else and I'm in preseason shape. And as I said, I've never been the best at training and really getting ready for the next year. So I'm not a guy who's ideal to come in mid season either, but I show up and I mean, you probably have the fight card right there. I think I fought every tough guy from every team that I fought was one of their number ones or twos. I didn't yep. dodge or do a single thing to avoid a fight, but I think like five to eight games in or six games in, I get pulled into the coach's office and he's questioning my toughness. <laughs> so Beeson, that's bringing me in. He's going, you know, you sure seemed a lot uh, tougher last year and I don't know what's going on with you. And you know, we thought we were getting a better tough guy when we signed you. And I'm thinking, does this little weasel know about toughness? I'm going out here every night with no one on our roster. Yeah. I think that was, we had Lafernier, and that was his first year, and he was in fairly over his head at that point, as I was when I was young. But he was a good kid showing up. But, yeah, we didn't have much for depth with Sammy out, and then they brought Sammy back, and, they were supposed to be getting me an apartment in Quebec City because they had the French girlfriend who was with me in BC. She went back to Quebec City earlier because she missed the family. And I'm like, okay, we'll settle for half the money you guys owe me as a signing bonus because, I mean, this has gone on long enough. I'm going to have to concede something. But keep the apartment in Quebec City, get me one. Yeah, not a problem. I get there, they're like, oh, yeah, we couldn't find one in Quebec City. We'll get you one in Tedford Mines. And I made the mistake of staying for a week at my girlfriend's parents. Now they're trying to force me, get me to stay there permanently. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, okay, well, give me 3000 a month. Well, that's ludicrous for an apartment. Apartment's not that expensive. I'm like, then rent me a fucking apartment. Yeah. I don't want to stay at my girlfriend's parents. I'm staying here because... You guys are screwing me around. And then I finally just told them either trade me or I'm just going to go play senior. And unfortunately, they did trade me to a team that, unbeknownst to me, wasn't paying their players. Yeah. So I went out, and that first game, well, I got traded there because I knew Mark Black, and he was trying to get their owner to trade for me, and Mark was living with the owner or knew the owner better or something where he was still getting paid. So I didn't know anything about the other players. I showed up for the first practice, find out they're not getting paid. Play the game, thinking, oh, great, we're going to have a dispersal draft or whatever. Played the one game I fought, I think, Tidball in warm-ups. And then I fought LaChance during the game and then was stable to the bench because the coach had the idea of you got to keep one tough guy on the bench to keep your players safe. Yeah. So after that, the team refused to play anymore unless they got paid. 
the owner said, we're not paying you, and they suspended everyone from the league there on the spot. No dispersal draft or anything, just, yeah, you guys quit on your owner, so you guys are out of hockey for the year. Yeah. And the worst thing was, is I got suspended right at that time, so I was ineligible to even play senior hockey in Quebec. Brutal. So I was stranded. Once again, no travel money home, which in the contract, I think I had about $1,000. So I get a couple hotel rooms, 500 bucks in fuel, some meals, and ideally pocket a bit of money. But it's a three- to four-day trek unless you really hoof on her. So after that, I was pretty sour taste. And it sounds like an old country song. My truck broke down, and I was dealing with that. And... Yeah, she was a treat. Yeah, I was going to say. But yeah. I ended up getting a little bit of money out of Tetford Mines. Thankfully, they gave me, I don't know if it was 300 or just, you know, finally got a little out of them, and which didn't even make up what they owed me from the year before. Yeah. Then I ended up getting picked up by a senior A team in northern Alberta in the NPHL, which is just a senior T league, and that with some guys I played junior B with. So I went up there and played it out in that league for a few years, but I think I, well, I definitely stayed in the same role, but I definitely enjoyed the bigger fish in a smaller pond playing up there. There weren't too many guys that were eager, and all of a sudden, especially in the Eastern Division, I could play a semi-regular shift. So I could really do some damage and, I mean, get away with some of the crazier stuff when you get a little more ice time to flex your muscle. Well, and I was going to say, you're going into that senior league. I mean, these dudes certainly haven't fought Brandon Sugden and Steve Bossy and... You know, haven't spent yeah. the last five years doing that with uh, 200 fights in the Quebec League. Yeah, I would say your confidence would be at an all-time high. Yeah. yeah, and one guy we didn't really touch on would have been Francois LaRue. That was a yes. pretty big fight for me at the time, too. Cause, well, that's a big name. Well, he has NHLer. The yeah. NHLer. He was infamously going to be the next big thing when he beat up Tony Twist in that one fight. But yep. Yep. it didn't quite pan out for him. And he was playing for that St. John team, which I had the irritation of being traded from. Yep. And to top it off, their assistant GM, who was with us the year before, came up to me in warm-ups telling me they wanted me to fight uh, LaRue. This is his first couple games in the league, and he hasn't had a fight yet. I'm thinking, this bastard thinks I'm going to be an easy fight for LaRue. So I was right pumped for those that one there, and... I think I fought him twice, and they both turned out fairly well. I mean, yeah, they did. I don't know if you'd call a winner in either of them, but that's an accomplishment in itself against a big boy like him. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to – I forgot to ask you when you were um, – uh, when we – initially when we were talking – oh, I don't know how many hours ago by this point, but uh, when we were, when you were initially talking about Brashear – um, what was he? I know Mayrad had, expre- had expressed frustration with playing against them and and everything. Uh, did did he did he pull a bunch of shit with you guys? 
Uh, not a ton with me. There was just that one incident that uh, when he kept the net on Quran in preseason, and that was the only one that stood out to me. I didn't play against him a ton, and when I did, I was in Saguenay by myself, and yeah, well, you got Berchier, Chad Richards, Lachance, and the list goes on. Dubé, Roach. Yeah. Yeah, I know I'm forgetting people. Bo, uh, yeah, there wasn't enough uh, depth on my team where I could even really look at Brashear. And he didn't, he had too much to lose, too. I can only imagine being in his shoes. I mean, you're on an NHL contract and everyone wants to try you. Yeah. Not saying it's an excuse, but it's a legitimate reason. Well, yeah, you know, you can't say yes every time. You just, that's all he'd be doing, right? Like, you know. Yeah. But, um, but, well, so your final, final year, well, we had sort of, uh, we had, you had briefly talked about him because I saw that uh, Charbonneau's on your fight card here. Um, what, what, what's it like playing against Charbonneau? I can't even really recall the fight. I'm guessing it was something that, was that in the last year when I fought him? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, he's I the same Eisen, actually. Picked up during the play, or I don't foresee him being a guy where it's squared off right off the face-off or something. Yeah. But, but I could be very wrong. But just in general, playing against him, he's like definitely like the Barnaby-Avery oh. type. Yeah, I'd put him more in the Barnaby than Avery, but yeah, he did not stop. <laughs> I mean, I do love the fact that he was driving the bus and driving uh, Bisonette absolutely wild because I think I definitely enjoyed that more than I was upset about it because <laughs> I think Beast and I used to be a bus driver at one point and that really egged him on oh okay okay I think I've actually seen that clip actually I think it's on YouTube yeah yeah I don't know if it was that game but I know he Beast and I wasn't a fan of his either <laughs> but well, yeah, he had one hell of a mouth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, there we go. That's uh, Curtis Swanson's uh, four and a half year or whatever you want, journey in the in the crazy Quebec League. I mean, I think we touched about every every name you could talk about. You fought everybody. Um, you lost some money, but uh, yeah, I made some made too, some money and... too. And uh, I mean, man, you'd. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we've only obviously touched the, scratched the surface of stories that you would have, but... Uh, yeah. And then, I guess the only other thing really left is that trip to Finland I had. Well, so yeah, so this is the next thing. I had, uh, <laughs> everybody had, has on the channel has seen, and then we've talked with Dean Mayrad, of course, who won the Hockey Enforcers Tournament, and that was in 0405 in Prince George in the summer, you know, with the guys with the UFC gloves and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, fast forward to 2000, was it 10 or 11? I think it's 2010. Um, yeah. Yeah, the summer in Finland, uh, you got to go over there and the same thing in a tournament, eight-man tournament. Um yeah, it was how did that all happen? And, um, season, when the hockey seasons were ongoing, yes. So that was another hiccup that they had was they couldn't get guys that were under contract. Okay. So that kind of played a little bit of the role in a lot of the guys they had to get, like me, Bone, Parker, and Mark Black. We weren't playing hockey at that point, 
yeah. in an organized bigger league. Yeah. I was still playing senior hockey, and then uh, I'm not sure what the other boys were up to. I'm sure Parker was doing something somewhere, but I think Black Adam hung up for a year, and then McMorrow got a brief getaway from the British Elite League that he was in. Yep. So it was a lot tougher for them to find the talent during season two. Well, who got a hold of it? Like, how did that happen? Like, uh, Yuka Sateri, I'm probably pronouncing something wrong there, but, uh, he was the one who got a hold of me and it was actually over Facebook. I just got a surprise message. I'm like, Hmm, that sounds kind of interesting. And I was a little leery on whether it was true, but to fly me to Finland, they're paying for the tickets up front and they're, he's guaranteeing me hotel rooms, meals, comped, everything. And. The way I looked at it, even if I didn't get anything of the prize money, I think you're guaranteed 500 bucks to show up. Even if I didn't get that, it's still a free trip to Finland, and I've got my return tickets, so yeah, I'll so take I mean, it. Yeah, you got the plane tickets, so you're, at least you got that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How long were you over there for? I was over there for five days. I really regret not taking Yuka up on his offer of spending another week and him touring me around the countryside and doing some sightseeing, but I was new at my job pipe fitting and figured I was more important than I probably would have been as a helper and I had to get back to work. Yeah. But that's no here nor there. But I actually had a fair amount of notice and it was funny. I was working all the time and I was actually going to the gym. Wow. I was in pretty much the best shape of my career well, or I was... second best of my first year in Finland or my first year in Tetford when I was in Finland in comparison. Well, I was going to say, I watched it last night. I had, I had, it had been years since I had watched that tournament and I was kind of fast forwarding real quick just to watch your fights, just to get caught up. Oh, you put the hammer down on the first two fights. And I mean, like, I'm like, Jesus, all right. Like, I'm not saying you weren't throwing hard before, but it was like, I'm like, what the hell happened? Dude cut his hair, and all of a sudden you're hitting with some, uh, you had some thunder. You were the only guy that had two stoppages in your first two fights. Yeah, well, there was a little bit of the luck of the draw with that first guy, because the Finnish qualifier, I think it was Oscar or Aka, he was willing, but he didn't have any fighting experience, so it was a pretty easy match but it was funny because parker's like swanny you got to be the only guy i know who'd be pissed off about getting the finish qualifier because you don't have any video to look up on him <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like yeah fair enough we just watched him in a boxer fight on skates the afternoon of the tournament the day before and kind of okay well that's your opponent because they did a draw where they had i think us ranked McMorrow, Parker, myself, and then I don't know if it was Black or uh, Bone Manson that was fourth. Yeah. They had the top four ranked, and they just drew the bottom four, and that's who I got. So it was a pretty good draw for me. And then Manson, that was 
if we went three rounds, I think we might have got fight of the night because it was pretty wide open that one round. That was. And actually, for anybody listening, it was Tristan Manson. He played in the Quebec Junior League for three years. Uh, big dude. Um, yeah, you guys, that was, uh, you guys were going pretty good, but, uh, I mean, you got him. Yeah, he was seeing a few stars and had, uh, concussions, so. Yeah. There wasn't too much a guy could do when the doctors found out, but. Yeah. I know I ran into a similar issue in the finals, but the doctors didn't get to find out. Well, yeah, so the final ends up between you and Parker. And uh, yeah. you're going pretty good, but I mean, you right at the start. I mean, you caught him good a couple, but uh, I know he caught you good a couple times too. Yeah, well, it was even funnier is we're in the same dressing room beforehand because they just had the blacks and whites from the first round separated, and me and him are sitting there, and he goes, "Swanee, you want to just give him a wide open fight and split the pool money right down the middle?" I said, "Ah, if you're worried about it, Parker, I mean, we can do that." He told me to go fuck myself, and we went into it just normal. But, uh, yeah, I was doing really well off the hop, and then he caught me with one, and, well, I don't want to say it's an equipment issue because he caught me with a heck of a punch. But that helmet they gave us dug into my temple and rung my bell. I was fighting through blur lines. So my vision had about three or four good blurry lines through it the next two and a half minutes. And I think I started to come out of it a little bit in that third round. Yeah. Where I started to get a bit more wind back and my vision and balance a bit better. And I don't know if I would have done better in a fourth round, but those things you'll just never know. No, but uh, you you end up, uh, I mean, you know, they, they uh, go to decision, they give it to Parker, but uh, nonetheless, like you said, you were, you were over there and, uh, you know, it was a heck of a fight. And uh, uh, was there any ever talk about them doing that again? Or was it sort of... Uh... Well, it didn't, there was talk initially, but after they did it, like they had a three or 4,000 seat arena in Aspoo, and I think they only got little over or under a thousand fans and it wasn't the spectacle they were hoping yeah i know it was televised in europe and i just don't think it ever really went over that well so they never pursued it and i know you could be able to get more in depth because i know he ran into a lot of issues after the fact on trying to clean up stuff that was ongoing from it that i've heard a few bits and pieces of and he said it wasn't pleasant after everyone left. Okay. With the promoters. So. No. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, anything like that. I mean, I mean, you certainly couldn't. Could you imagine one of those tournaments now? Oh, my God. You know, the people be outraged. They were outraged then. Yeah. I couldn't imagine now, 10 years later. Yeah, like even in northern Saskatchewan, northern Alberta, where there's still a bit more of a lust for something like this, it'd be tough to pull off. Yep. Oh, the you moment. have your diehards, but there's not enough of them left. Wow. The, mo- I, the moment it would hit the bleeding hearts on the social media, that'd be the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the hardest thing was in both cases was getting sanctioning because you had to wear MMA gloves and it was quite different than your average hockey fight where 
well, the one on Prince George, you had if your helmet came off. I mean, we got in crap for not putting our helmets back on after the first few fights in Finland, and but they weren't stopping it at least. And yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's a tough thing to take out of the game and put completely onto a show spectacle like that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, there we go, man. There's the, the tale of Curtis Swanson. I mean, we've, uh, man, I don't know how long we've gone for about two and a half hours and had power failures and everything else. And, uh, but, uh, but we got her, um, yeah, just before we wrap up, I mean, uh, you know, what what do you, well, I know right now with the pandemic and everything that's going on, I mean, you know, work's been shut down and, and everything else, but uh, normally when everything gets back and going, uh, what's Curtis Swanson up to these days? Well, I've been up in Grand Prairie for 10 years now as a pipe fitter, and I've got my own little company. I'm not completely shut down at the moment. It's more I can't find work for myself, which is usually the easiest person to find work for. Yeah. So I've got knuckle busters. I still have two trucks working up in Grand Prairie, and we're just a pipe-fitting outfit with trucks that supply bigger companies, and hopefully I can keep making a go of it for a few more years and see how it all plays out up there. Well, I know I've heard from a few, like you were, you've been doing okay, though, overall, right? Oh, I'm still doing all right. I mean... You're just, right now it's uh, wading through the downturn, and I mean, it's not just COVID, it's the price of oil because of COVID and the Saudis and Russians, so yeah, we're kind of getting double whammied up there, but hopefully it turns around within the next six months, and I mean, it's been going extremely well. I had the company for five or six years, and I've grown it to... Uh, I have five picker trucks in the company right now. They're just little two-ton decks with a cab chassis, high ab picker, and tools. But I've definitely grown it a lot more than I would have imagined getting into it. Yeah. No, that's so. That's excellent, man. No, you found life after hockey, and you you know you weren't. Uh, so that, that's that's great to hear, and. Uh... Yeah, well, I do feel for the older guys. I mean, yeah, especially the guys who played till 35 and didn't work every summer. Because, I mean, the four and a half years, I guess, if you include junior or six and a half years, I always came back and worked in the summer and never really got into the full hockey lifestyle. Yeah. So in that regard, I was lucky to come out of it with a bit of a sense, too. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean, you know, and it's tough, and I think that's the, you know, just from talking to guys and knowing guys, and you know, you know, being in it and and, and seeing that, I think that's that's one of the biggest battles, right? Is the is the life after hockey, especially, you know, I, I think it's getting better nowadays. I think you know, kids are a little more aware with school and everything else, but yeah, back you know the '90s guys, I mean, it was just uh, you know, go and play in the minors and. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone's chasing the NHL dream, but, uh, you know, obviously the majority don't make it. But, yeah, all of a sudden you wake up and, like you said, you're 35 and, you, you know, you haven't really worked a real job and, you know, you have no skills. And, yeah, I, I mean, that's a big blow to a lot of guys and it's, you know, it's a real battle. Yeah, I mean, I was out at 25, 26, so. Yeah, yeah. And I still got to enjoy those other three or four years of senior hockey, which 
wasn't nearly as fun or as big of a thing, but it was a different thing for me because, like I said, I got to play a bit and run around and contribute a little more than I would have typically. Yeah. No, for sure. And uh, when when uh, when was the last time you slapped the blades on and got out there? I think it's been about a year and a half now because I still have a temperament. I know I was playing in a charity tournament my buddy put on in Grand Prairie and I was playing with uh, Sam Paquette and Rob Short who were two ex-pro forwards and they're just buzzing circling in the offensive zone I'm standing in front of the net the fenceman gave me a few cross checks so in I turned a cha- around in a charity and, game yeah huh. and I mean I'm, I'm all for the rough stuff but I turned around and gave him a stick in the balls and he told me not to do that so just literally the switch goes off and I speared him in the stomach and threw my gloves or shook my gloves asked him he wanted to go I mean nobody touched me the rest of the tournament but you're not really supposed to be doing that in a charity tournament around that time I was kind of well maybe I should just hang him up because I'm not quite getting it's not where I should be playing hockey out here yeah. Yeah. So, sometimes you just you gotta let you gotta let the yeah you gotta let the sleeping dogs lie. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll lace them up next year and I'll, I'll calm down after a little break and I can just go out and enjoy the game. But it's tough when you've been bred into that role too, and you know you just the guys who don't know how to skate and run into you. I can deal with that all day long, but the guys who are trying hard and whacking or the worst thing a team can do is put me on defense because now I'm thinking I got to clear the net and I'm slashing guys on top of the laces and cross-checking. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. 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 This isn't okay. Get me off defense. This is not going to end well, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and of course, that's the thing with the rec stuff. I mean, there's always one guy that spent too much time on HockeyFights.com, and now he's going to come out and thinks he's friggin', you know, Stephen Pete or something, and it's like, you know, settled. And it, and and inevitably, he runs into someone like you, and that's not going to go well for him, you know. Yeah, I never really ran into too many issues. I think I got in one actual fight up here, and, Oddly enough, it was against a welder I was going to be working with a couple weeks later, and he actually ended up cutting me, and I did a little more damage to him, and I think he'd probably give me the W and that, but, I mean, we're out there playing a game for fun. We shouldn't necessarily be doing that, but we both had a good laugh about it after the fact and ended up playing on the same team the next year, so... (laughs) Well, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, well, man, I've, I've kept you long enough. I won't, uh, like I said, I appreciate your patience and all this. And, uh, and like I said, that was, uh, it was a great interview. And I know the, uh, I told a few guys that I was having you on and, uh, I, I know the, the listeners of the show were really excited. And, uh, like I said, I've, uh, you know, from talking to Kurt and everything, you know, been a, been a fan since the Slave Lake days, so and it was been it's been fun to watch you, uh, you know, as a young kid take the take the journey through the Quebec League, and uh, no, I admired your guts, I'll tell you that boy, and uh, 
No, it was it was real uh, real pleasure for me to for, to uh, to get you on the show today. I really appreciate it. Oh, me as well. It was good shooting the shit about old times. And if you ever feel like doing that again, let me know. I'd be more than happy to. Well, I've I've said this a number of times. And I want to set something up. I'd like to kind of get like a round table kind of deal. Get you and a couple guys from the league on. You know, maybe Mayrad would come back. He said he'd come back on and uh, get a couple of you. And I think, you know, kind of get you guys all talking amongst yourselves. I think that could spark a few stories for sure. Yeah, I mean, you might be busy editing a bunch of the stories out after we're all done talking, though. Well, you know, that, that, <laughs> yeah. the, the the magic of editing, I could do that. But uh, I think that would be a lot of fun, though. Yeah, I'd definitely be up for something like that. and It was great catching up, too, because... I know we talked a little bit years ago, but it's been a long time. It has been, yeah, no, absolutely, and it was uh, no, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I'll let you go. But uh, oh, and for everybody listening, when you go to Hockey DB and you type in Curtis Watson, it's Lavington, BC, not Lavington, England. I don't know; they got you in the yeah. UK for some reason, but uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I wish that was more accurate because I got calls from the well, the only other pro calls I got was from the United Kingdom. Because <laughs> they saw my hockey DB and they're like, "You have a British citizenship?" I'm like, "No." They go, oh, "Never mind." Yeah. Well, that was a quick call. Oh, you, yeah. So, yeah. You wouldn't be an import. We could get you as a local. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even I was kind of disappointed after the Finland thing and everything. I never got a sniff again from a phone call from Quebec or nothing. Which I figured I would have at least got a few phone calls after that tournament, but. Well, and that, no. yeah, well, that was the other, well, okay, now I won't let you go just yet. That was the <laughs> thing with that Quebec League. I mean, at the time, there was that kind of, yeah, that point, the, you know, the last, well, you know, 13, 14, those, those few years, I mean, you know, they were kind of struggling to find guys. And it was like, yeah. and you seriously got no phone calls? Like, no, it's probably a good thing because I can't say if I would have, left and not been in the position I am today because it is quite a lot of fun playing hockey for a living but really at this point in my age what type of living is it going to be well yeah I mean you know there comes a point when to say when right I mean but uh but just like you said yeah. that 2010-11 right kind of after that tournament you would think you know but uh I don't know I, yeah I, I said one time, I said, shit, you're like the Rodney Dangerfield of that league, man. Like, no respect, <laughs> you know. Like, come on. Like I said, like you yeah. said, when you got the Tetford coach brings you in and he's giving you shit for not fighting. Yeah, you're talking to the guy who had 47 fights the year before, and he's questioning. Well, it wasn't the not fighting. He was giving me shit about not winning my fights. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I don't think you could really question me on not showing up with who I was going night in, night out at that point. Oh, absolutely, but, uh, oh, yes, the, the tales, like I said, the tales of the Quebec League, we could be, I like I said, I could talk you off all night getting stories from you, but uh, we'll, we'll call it a night, but, uh, again, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, I'll let you go. You bet. You take care, Darren. You too, Curtis. Thank you very much. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 